For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. You can text 0868104106. Yes, breaking news this morning. Yet another gig announced for the Live of the Marquee run for 2023. Lots to look forward to as we head into spring and then into the summer of this year. And the Marquee is always one of those things you can always look forward to. And of course, it's Rod Stewart uh, set to return to the Marquee on the 20th of June. And yes, I'd like to play a Rod Stewart song at some stage this morning. I've got three set up here which I'm going to allow you to pick from either Sailing or Baby Jane or Maggie May I'll say nothing about it I'll leave it up to you guys entirely Sailing Baby Jane or Maggie May you can text yourself and pick the song and whoever picks the one most uh, that's the one that will play big money coming to Leaside for biking and for walking and what have you 57 million million euro worth of it Uh, more than 130 active travel projects for Cork where do they find all this dosh from when the crisis in other areas like can't find money at all but then again it's all about people's lifestyle their welfare their physical and mental well-being I suppose so we need more and more uh, biking uh, strategies and biking routes and walking routes so looking at Four and a half million for the Grange Road to the Tremor Valley Park. Um, three and a half million for the Ballinacurra to Middleton pedestrian and cycle routes. And like 1.6 million to upgrade the Marina Promenade, which um, the next phase um, will just see huge difference to the work already done down in the Marina. When you total it up, it's 130 projects, 57 million euro worth of it. It's the front page story uh, making the uh, echo today. Uh, there's a very sad um, inquest going on at the moment. Uh, here in Cork, where um, a family are before the inquest listening to the details of the death of their son, Andrew Gerns, a 29-year-old. And sadly, the inquest was, was talking yesterday about his mam who called the prison asking staff to keep a closer eye on her son. Apparently, he'd made a disturbing call to her and he appeared to be hallucinating. Uh, she was then contacted five hours later and told that he had attempted suicide. So she rushed to the hospital And sadly, he subsequently died, according to the inquest evidence yesterday. Um, He um, indicated uh, that he was checked. It was indicated by, uh, I guess, prison staff that he'd been checked 13 times on the afternoon of September 28th in 2020. Um, But uh, at 20 to 5, he was found unresponsive in his one-man cell at Cork Prison and he died at the CUH. October 7th of 2020. That inquest continues this morning and I have to hope to have more on that story when the inquest concludes. Our thoughts with the family, obviously. Yesterday we dealt with the residents in uh, Liascara, uh, the estate in Killeen's in Blarney. Not that they're against social housing, but it's about a blended mix of housing that they're insisting. And they're also insisting, of course, and rightly so, that somebody should be uh, talking uh, and uh, interacting with families and homeowners in the area. It's a lack of engagement, really, and that protest continues and is photographed in both the Examiner and the Echo today with the uh, plastic barriers that they put up to the entrance of the estate. And in the photograph alone, there's two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen people in the photograph alone. Some good news on Patrick Street, which is great, and I hope we have many more stories like that. People are very, very excited about the return of Mango. Yes, Mango, where the gang go uh, for all of their fashion deals. But apparently, they used to be in Cork before, I'm told. They had a franchise operation back in 2008. But they're going into the old Quills building uh, on Patrick Street, which is great news because they're fashion retail giants. I know of an awful lot of people when they go overseas, primarily to Spain, they love to do a bit of shopping in Mango. So that's going to be great, and I hope it happens sooner rather than later. And of course, all sorts of, um, you know, very disturbing 
uh, stories coming out of successive dolls uh, over the years. One has to do with the issues regarding nursing home patients who are being charged over the odds, even though they had medical cards and, um, you know, some of them lost their entire savings. I was telling you yesterday morning of some uh, farms having to be sold and family homes having to be sold to pay for it when really the state should have been paying. So you got that issue going on and it makes the front of many of the papers, including the mail. So there's that one. Then there's the second one that involves disability payments that were being held or withheld from people with disability who were in the care of the state in what they called various institutions. So their payment payments uh, were stopped. Um, and that's another one now. And there could be upwards of 12,000 different people over the years who had what was legally theirs, their disability payment, stopped and taken from them, denying people their disability payments, their lawful payments when they were entering institutions. So those are two that are absolutely shocking. Um, and much of it, of course, is has to do with trying to get away with it and hoping that the, in the curse of nursing home scandal, in, in the, hoping that, you know, families of their loved ones just wouldn't have the money or the legal wherewithal to take a case against the state. And the third one, of course, is this nonsense regarding the ESB. Um, they're even trying to work out now within the ESB to find a way to not pay back the 50 euro. Um, and there's a row over that because, of course, um, you know, it would appear that private account holders with the ESB were being charged an extra levy uh, to subsidise um, commercial ESB uh, clients. So that was another overcharging on the electricity bill. So will it be paid back anytime soon? The 50 euro that's being offered um, as, a rebu- as a refund? They say not anytime soon. So it could be another one that will drag its heels for a long time. I did mention this yesterday on the air, the 375 motors on the road without an NCT. Uh, that continues to dominate the papers because one of them is saying that it could well be 2024 before the driving test backlog is actually cleared. My car is due an NCT in March. So yesterday I decided just kind of half out of divilment and half out of just wondering, maybe I need to get in ahead just to see how bad it is. I checked Little Island to see when... Now, I know if you phone them, they say you can get a much faster one. You got a cancellation list and they, they tell you they get you some of them in 28 days. But if you follow the protocol of doing it online, which is very straightforward and very simple... So that's what I did last night. And the earliest date that I could get for Little Island for an NCT is the 31st day of August. 31st day of August. Um, Jump in on that if you want, because I know you did something similar and you'll get it much faster. But the 31st day of August. So then I went up around the country to the Midlands and Athlone and Castlebar and places like that. And it's not any better, really. I mean, you are talking about maybe July in one or two cases, August. Primarily, though... Here in Cork, I can say categorically that it will be at least the last day in August or the early days of September. So it's all of February, all of March, all of April, all of May, all of June, all of July. That's six months. That's insane. Well, what's insane is, you know, as you say, like I was looking to book my NCT because I have to redo my insurance and I have to have NCT and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you don't actually, you just have to have an application. Yeah, I have to have an application in to get it switched. Um, And it's crazy that I don't know how much money they spend on that website and to do up that website. But the fact that you go on the website, which should be an easier one to to organize and you get, you know, for their point of view, like it should all be done automatically when slots come up they should be open for you to book right if you book online it should 
just be done automatically. Ah, yeah, rather than having the phone. Rather than having a phone and having the kind of human side of it. And you get, what is it, 31st of August? 31st of August, or the 1st of September, or the 2nd, or the 4th, or the 5th, or the 6th. And you pick it up and do the old-fashioned way, and you're told you'll get a date within 28 days. I, I can't understand how the online is less efficient than ringing you know normally ringing is the last uh, resort is it to do with cancellations you know? I don't know maybe uh, they're they're working they, on a so short so they list. asked me what time was I not available so I said between 9 and 12 every weekday morning Monday to Friday <laughs> but other than that I kind of said look uh, whatever I take I can get so uh, or whatever I get I'll take but yeah it is it is crazy like it's crazy to be at a point where there's this many people yeah, short yeah and you have two different systems the one you yeah. go through online and then you bypass that so and everyone's you pick up the bypassing phone. online they're getting rebooks and then anybody that's going online isn't getting the benefit of going online because all the people that picked up the phone are getting in ahead of them and the backlog way may well not be cleared until the middle of next year there's an interesting story as well actually that makes the the uh, mail this morning um, I don't know is it getting harder and harder now to get fag machines in various locations you know where you just get the token say in a hotel you get it behind you get it behind reception or something like that or behind the bar and then you go and you get your, your box of fags in the machine uh, but one of the country's largest hotel groups is stopping selling cigarettes in their 11 hotels across the country. Apparently, uh, a prosecution was the final straw and they were prosecuted uh, for selling fags or at least giving a token to a 14-year-old. Um, and they've been, uh, after being given a 400 euro fine for selling fags to a 14-year-old, they decided enough is enough. There are apparently less and less people, they're saying, within the hotel group, which is called the Inua Hospitality Group. It's actually based in Cork. It's head offices here in Cork. They're saying that anyway, uh, there's, you know, there's a reduction number of people smoking cigarettes and actually buying them, you know, from the vending machines. Um, and also the feedback they're getting as well. I suppose they, you know, less and less, they want less and less people smoking full stop. But apparently a staff member sold a teenager the cigarettes from a, a token, gave a token for the cigarette vending machine. But in the court, the young employee, uh, who's still an employee of the hotel, was undergoing three weeks induction training at the time. Um, and I don't know whether you would say it's hard to know a 14-year-old anymore from an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old, but they decided to just call the whole thing a day. I don't know how much of this is going on where you have um, people who are giving Botox or administering Botox or injecting Botox when they are unlawfully or doing it because they're not qualified to do it. But there's the story of a Dublin beautician makes the paper today, got a fairly hefty fine for doing just that, giving Botox-like treatment to clients at our salon. Ten grand was the fine. Big, big money. And you know how the Garda are going to get body cams? And I heard during the week the Garda dogs as well are going to get some sort of cameras. That's been approved now. But what interestingly, they're going to pilot scheme at first body cams for members of the Garda Shagona. But interestingly, the same legislation will also include an amendment that will allow Garda to use facial recognition technology when they're going through CCTV footage. So you have the CCTV footage which they have harvested from wherever they need to get it from. And then they have software to look at the CCTV footage and the faces of those in it. And facial technology should be able to tell them who they are if they're on the record, I suppose. Uh, only if they're on the record. It's a bit like, like fingerprinting, except it's with the face. And then um, there's a bizarre story um, of um, a couple who left their baby at the airport check-in. Now, this is over at the, t- the Ryanair desk in Tel Aviv's Ben Gurion Airport. I mean, it's one of the most bizarre stories. So this couple rock up um, at the check-in desk and there's a disagreement then because they don't want to have to buy a separate ticket for their child. So this actually happened on Tuesday. They were travelling to Brussels uh, when they discovered they had to pay extra for a seat for their baby and they simply said, we're not paying it. 
uh, we'll leave the baby behind if you don't let us take the baby on for free. And the staff said, you have to pay, it's a seat, and that's the way it works here. So they simply left the child in the buggy by the check-in desk and they walked off through passport control leaving the baby behind. Now, um, this is a matter for the authorities because security staff went after them after they were contacted by check-in to say, there's a couple gone in there, they just left their baby behind. So they were brought back again and now it's in the hands of local police. I mean, it's a bizarre story, isn't it? But you talk about people who have children and those who don't. There's a survey in the Mail this morning that says that employers are taking advantage of staff who don't have children to get them to work longer hours. The people with kids are cut more breaks and cut slack, but those that are childless, they're under more pressure to work longer. As in, Ash, you have nowhere to go anyway, so it's just you and life is quite simple for you, you know. You're not on the clock really. It's not as if you're going picking up children or anything. And then the papers also talk of the different excuses people give to get out of a date. Now, there are two sections to this. The UK Times talks about those who leave a date early and the excuse they give. And then there's the other ones who cancel a date at the last minute because they're just not feeling it, you know. They're just thinking, nah, this guy or this girl, she's not for me. So the excuses for that are feeling unwell, I've had an emergency at work, I can't make it, Um, I've got an unwell relative, I don't know, whatever the case may be, uh, a broken down car, or I've just been mugged, right? So that's the reason for not turning up to the date. But the reason for leaving the date early, and they say uh, that apparently uh, if it goes wrong, 51 minutes is the average length of time of a date that people, people can stomach when it's actually not working out. 51 minutes. And those who ditch their liaison in the date, the exit strategies that they use most um, they get a friend to phone them with a fake emergency or the classic line, I've got a headache or another one, um, one's pet has suddenly fallen ill. Uh, my dog's had a heart attack or a stroke or choking. I need to get down to the vet because my mammy's taken the, uh, to the vet. But one of the ones that they don't actually mention in the survey is just getting up, pretending to go to go, go to the loo and just leaving. <laughs> Because it, it happens. I mean, I know of people who have done that in the middle of a day. Just got up, said, I must go to the loo. Having a lovely, isn't it great? Really enjoying this. I'm just going to pop out to the loo. Out the front door and gone. And then if your man or your one tries to follow up on it, they're ghosted. And you know, we talk about, um, you know, the lyrics of songs uh, from time to time, particularly the more modern ones that are very, very sexualized. But I don't know if you're a fan of Tom Jones or the song Delilah. That's very much um, used uh, in rugby circles, particularly Welsh rugby circles. And it's sung at Welsh rugby matches. Well, apparently not anymore. Now, I don't know how they're going to stop fans from singing My, 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 Delilah. But they're certainly not going to allow choirs sing it anymore. And apparently they did sing that in the, in the pre-match build-ups. You'll know more about this than I will, Quivine. But apparently it was part of the repertoire. But the Welsh Rugby Union has dropped the song from match day repertoires. A bit like the English Rugby Union have dropped Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, which is awful links to slavery. But do you know Delilah, the song Delilah? I, I, I know the chorus. I wouldn't know the It's entire... a shocking song. I mean, it's a lovely melodic song, but the lyrics are alarming to say the least it's a guy whose girlfriend is cheating on him and he walks past the house one night and he sees the lights on and she's canoodling with some other geezer out and he can see it through the window right so he waits his time and then when your man is gone he goes to the house 
Yeah. There's a line in the song that says, uh, if I can see it here uh, with these dodgy eyes that I have, he says, I crossed the street to her house and she opened the door. She stood there laughing. I felt the knife in my hand and she laughed no more. What? Oh, but it's a story. What? It's a song that tells a story, isn't it? It's not like Tom Jones is saying... Well, you know, if you catch your missus sleeping, so you make sure you get out and get the, the knives lyrics, out. And, I know that. You know, and it's, I, it's, it's, I, I know it's over the top, of, but the lyrics of that song bothered me 30, 40 years yeah. ago as much as they bother me now. But sure, like, in that case, we mightn't sing the fields of Athen Rye because there'll be corn farmers all over the country who will have their That's corn more fields historic, ransacked. Though. This is more historic. I mean, like, they're... They're only described in the papers this morning as problematic lyrics. And, and I guess that you have to take it in context of the time when it was written, well, uh, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. George Siggins, who's a, who's a rugby and cricket journalist at the uh, Irish uh, Times, I just saw his tweet, I just put it into the What's group he there. For it? He says, in the light of Delilah with the IRFU, it's PA music. Boys and Back in Town, which condones street fighting and knife crime. Dark Doom, which glorifies beheading. The Fields of Athenry, Corn Larsonry, or even Beautiful Day, which celebrates climate change. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. But like even the Marseillaise, like the French know, national anthem. If you were actually to read and translate those, and the Irish national anthem, and the Irish right. national anthem, like they're they're pretty. I know, I know, violent I know, it, lyrics. I know, but it's a very melodic song, and it's a kind of happy, clappy song. We love it. It's yeah. a great tune to it. Absolutely. But he's actually crossing the street and stabbing his girlfriend. But like, to death. How, so how many people do you think in the Millennium Stadium? La, they're the, now known la. as the Principality Stadium on Friday if the choir sing it how many people will think hmm better go home and stab my wife after no, I, I sing this it's I just know, not just, it's just a cognitive dissonance it's like we're I talking it's just because it's such a great song and so happy and so melodic but yet it has a guy stabbing his girlfriend but your um, pumped up kicks by uh, Foster the People which a lot of people would know that's about going out in uh, school shootings you know like the, the lyrics if you actually read it it's about a child who takes a gun and goes into school I can't and believe I'm saying that leave the songs alone I know that but this you know? one I think is kind of exceptional for some reason I think like, it's just this one finger. rankles with you I yeah. think it probably has rankled with you for a while yeah, like, there are I, so, certain songs I listen to and I think mm, just, I just don't like that and, but, but, but also the point is how are they going to stop fans from singing it they can't yeah they can't they just can't and like this is the, the, I, I see and this is something I'm quite passionate about I suppose as a big football fan and somebody who loves going to football games the sanitisation now of sporting attendances this idea that you know like you're no longer allowed to sing so no there what are certain they, what do they sing in Turner's Cross well like they would sing things that are very much X-rated that you cannot sing but then we have some dance that are that are, that are quite funny okay. you know like yeah. we've, we've won and the songs in the cross like and they're quite family. inventive. Are they family Very, friendly? Like we won about like Dan Murray, but that was to the tune of the Adams family, and it's an art of force for some. He's absolutely awesome. From Corners, he will score some. His name is Dan Murray. That's mega. That's that's brilliant. And then we have other ones that are more uh, I suppose X rated. But like the, the, the idea is Don't sanitize our sports singing. But I just think that when you start to sanitize crowds, then you start to take away what the real essence of what makes watching live sport beautiful, which isn't isn't being able to shout whatever you want. That's not what I'm going with, but I suppose just the idea of you know you, you don't have somebody watching down on you in a sports crowd the entire time whereas when I look at some of the Premier League stadiums now and I look at the atmosphere you often hear people saying God the atmosphere has gone to pot that's because this over sanitization and the ticket pricing means that people kind of the kind of pe- they're trying to change the audience of people that go to football yeah, games yeah, yeah, or sports yeah, crowds yeah, and yeah. I just think I think you're losing a little bit you have to you have to remember the essence of 
the, the people who are really hardcore and you, you can't lose that spirit so that's definitely it's something that it, it irks me I have to say it really annoys me this kind of idea so of, Delilah view of you a step too far I just think all right. and, I, and I, I, I think generally with some sports it's all about going to the event as opposed to actually going to support the team and a, a very, one of the quintessential parts of supporting the team is singing and, and being able to sing to support your team or indeed sing to slag off the opposition I mean that's half the fun of it as well you know? alright well let's see what other people think of the matter text 0868104106 back after the break calls on the way get it off your chest call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106 Red FM and I know of at least one birthday yesterday on St. Bridget's Day to a Bridget I only saw the text when I got off the air it said it's my mother's birthday birthday, as in yesterday, she'll be 93 years young, and she goes around the house like a 21-year-old doing everything for herself. Fair play to you. Sometimes I think she's half a robot. Her name is Bridget Leahy, from Fairfield Crescent in Farinry. She has 16 kids, <laughs> 7 daughters and 9 sons, fair play, 50 grandkids, and about 70 great-grandkids. So maybe now or tomorrow you could wish her a very happy birthday with lots of love and kisses and hugs from all of the family and her dog Brownie. Uh, that came in from her son Jimmy and all of the family. So sorry I didn't see it in time yesterday, but fair play. She has an amazing legacy behind her. 16 kids, 50 grandkids and over 70 great-grandchildren. I often wonder if she could name every single one of them, the grandkids and the great-grandchildren. But happy 93rd for yesterday, Bridget Leahy. Great to have a birthday on St. Bridget's Day. Right, time for a recap and a revisit of stories we've been dealing with of late. And you might have recalled my story uh, about a week, maybe eight, nine days ago with with Daniel, who was born in Besborough in the 1950s uh, and revisits and was revisiting down over the years. Um, And he was back in touch with me last week talking about the fact that on one visit some years back, way back in the 90s, he did find remains on the ground at Besborough. Now, he contacted the, the authorities at the time, including on Garda Shikona, with regards to a tree that had fallen over and the roots of it um, unearthed. What he said was, uh, as far as he is concerned, a baby's skeleton. And he had taken a bone with him. Um, um, and we, we spoke about that at length at the time when I was chatting with him as to the reasons why. But the idea now was to get that bone analysed. Uh, and I just want to update with him because today could be a very important day. Daniel, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. Okay, so things are moving and have been moving over the past week or so. Um, you're, you're a member as well of the Besbra Survivors Group, right? Isn't that the case? Uh, I am. Yes, yeah. yes I am. Yeah. Okay, and th- that's a very noisy phone. You're not on speaker or anything, are you? One second, there now. Okay. Uh, How's that, Neil? Okay, just take that, it. That's, that's, better. Better. that's better. There was just a bad whistle there. So, what has happened in the recent days? Well, I'm waiting now for uh, people to come to uh, definitively identify whether the bone is, is uh, what I think it is. Uh, you know, I'd be uh, like, right, if it turns out to be yeah. an animal bone, which uh, has kind of said already, but we, it's not definitive yet. It needs to be examined up close. Um, and is that yeah. is, is something with regards to that happening today? Yes. This afternoon. Right. And how much can you tell us of what's going to happen this afternoon? People are going to call here, uh, qualified people, uh, I think they're from the UCC. Right. Uh, and they're going to uh, look at the uh, bone fragment and uh, tell me if I've uh, been guarding 
something of great significance for great the last, significance, I don't know how many yes. years. And the, location of, yeah, and the location where you found it is of great significance yeah, as well. Yeah. It's um, very important to Neil yeah. to understand that all that area that, that we're talking about now has been landscaped and changed utterly. I mean, you wouldn't recognize what it was when I knew it. It's just changed so much. But when I was in, and I, I really think you have to look at it this way, when I walked through the woods that day, uh, I came across a vase with dead flowers in it. Now, obviously, it was there a long time. And I, I was kind of puzzled by that. I said, we're in the woods. It didn't make sense where I, it was placed, you're saying. It didn't yeah. make sense where it was. Yeah. And then I walked on further, and there was daffodils growing right next to a tree. You know, and again, not visible from anywhere else except that tree. So uh, I, I walked on further, and then there was a tree that had been knocked down in a storm. Yes, and had that's been hit the by and, yeah. and brought down. And the roots had lifted all these uh, bones up, and I was shocked. Now, you, I remember you said to me uh, some time ago, why didn't I take a picture and all that? And I'm saying this is all pre internet, pre-mobile phone, pre, you know what I mean? It's yeah, all, yeah. none of this technology was available at the time. A camera, well, you'd have to have a camera. Not a lot of people went around with a camera in their pocket. Yeah, I know. So, uh, that kind of thing. And I, I was in shock, you know, and then I went to the guards and told them what I saw and what I found. And and uh, I was waiting for them to call to me and nothing happened. That's right, that's right, yeah. And there was huge controversy and I was kind of aware, I said, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? So then I just sat back and hoped something would happen. And yeah, and it didn't, did. and that was, the early, that was the early 90s. You did indicate to me when we were chatting, though, because I asked you, and I don't mean to sound, you know, I don't want to upset anybody by saying it, but you said you kind of would have known the difference between the bones of a small well, I, human and the bones of a dog. Well, you see, the thing is, um, you had Ma- Maureen Considine in with you the other day, I talking last week. Yeah. And she did say that what I described would be for, for an older child, if it was a human bone. And I kind of agree there. I mean, if it was a, a very young... Yeah. God, it was a very young baby, uh, there wouldn't be uh, much... Disintegration. So today, when they arrive, and yeah. are, they, are they going to take it away for testing, or will they be able to tell you this afternoon? Well, I'll have somebody with me. I'll have. Uh, hopefully, she'll come. Uh, yeah, she's coming as well. Carmen Cantwell. She'll be here, and uh, we have paperwork. Uh, I can. I have a picture. Uh, I, I, I'm not. I can send it to you if you want. But I, I, I no, you're I all right. You're, you're okay. I, I, I just don't think it would be right and respectful to I, be distributing a photograph. Yeah, that's why, that's why I didn't potential. do anything yeah. like that. No, I, I would keep that very private. You know, I really yeah, and truly yeah, would. Yeah. It's not the kind of thing that should be shared out of I know, respect. I know. But this I, afternoon, I they should be able to tell you categorically, without any fear of, um, you know, getting it wrong as to whether it is human or not. Well, that's the hope. Okay. Uh, okay. 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 Yeah. All right, then, Daniel. Let that happen this afternoon, and perhaps we'll have an opportunity. I hope we'll have an opportunity to talk further on the matter in the morning. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Daniel. Thank okay. you so much. You've always been very kind right. and always very available. So that's as much as we can say. The significance of this is, of course, as anywhere between eight hundred and fifty or nine hundred babies who, over all of the years, died. 
um, um, soon after birth that are indeed before childbirth in Besborough and where are they buried? It's that simple really. That is is the question. Now some are saying Cars Hill. I remember talking in the past with uh, caretakers who retired from uh, St Finbar's that looked after the mortuary area there and said sadly in some of the cases, very sadly, some of the babies were sent to St Finbar's, their remains were sent to St Finbar's and they were buried in coffins alongside adults who were being buried at the time. I know it sounds bizarre and very strange, but apparently that practice, but not that many. Um, others were suggesting that babies were buried in the area where the nun's graveyard was. And, that, and that's fine, a little gated area, uh, but that's very small. And then over the years, of course, other people have had stories of berries, babies being just buried randomly in random areas of the big area. Um, that is and was Besborough at the time. Uh, I want to say thank you also to Philomena, who's been holding for quite some time. And she's part of the CSSA group with uh, Catherine um, and Anne and those that we spoke with last week and was in Besborough in 1975 when she was 18. She's got a very, very interesting backstory. Philomena, good morning. Good morning. It, it was when you were 18 uh, back in Limerick, you yeah. went, went to the doctor. Pre- I went to the doctor. You were yeah. pregnant, yeah. Yeah. Told him I well, I told him I was pregnant, and he, he said, um, "There's a farm and fill it in for cure or care at the time." Now, that's and I said, "What's the farm for?" And he said, "Just fill it in." Do you go? You went there. on your own. Did family know? Yeah, I did. No, I went alone to the doctor. Yeah, were you very, very I, frightened and worried? No, do you know something? I didn't think I was going to end up in talk. Do you know? I just. Went into the doctor to tell him what was wrong with me because I, at the time I was with the father of child for three years, and um, the letter for Cura would have been, yeah. as I remember, it, the, it was associated to the Catholic Church for people in crisis yeah, yeah. pregnancy, right? Help in yeah, crisis pregnancy. Yeah. So he gave you that letter, and yeah, uh, yeah. and what happened next? It was fun to fill in and this and that. Now I know for a fact my mother and father didn't send farms, but saying that now. They say, get, well, I did go down to Cork anyway, but my sister, she came down with me on the, on the train. And I got to Cork and I went to Hayden and London. Besborough. Was this Besborough? Yeah, okay. She, she brought me into a big room, which everybody went, everyone went in there. You would get up a tea, you might get a cup and saucer and a biscuit. And then she would start talking to you. Yeah. And then she said to me, you're not staying here, you're not pregnant. Well, I said, why am I down here? So I am. That's what I said. I, I would have went home, but uh, eventually she knew I was pregnant or whatever. So she, I stayed there. How, how did how did they change their mind from saying you aren't pregnant to you? Are, it's, yeah, okay. I had the letter you see from the doctor. Okay. okay. I had the letter from the doctor. Oh, geez, that doctor's probably dead now. God bless him. And. Uh, but you were three months gone at that stage, were you? I was about three or four months. Yeah, okay. I was. I was down there in January, December, January, and I had my daughter in March. So I wouldn't get more. Probably. More then? A lot more. I would have, yeah. 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 Okay. Were you showing and everything? So I was. A bit, I was. Okay. I was. I okay. was walking, you see. I used to walk. I was walking. I was walking to Sivai and I was walking other clover meets. You know, I was actually walking. Yeah. Yeah. So people just say to me, you're putting up waste. But I, I'm not stupid. We all know. Well, years ago, your mother and father would never tell you anything. Mm. You know, you kind of find out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. said facts of life. Or no facts of life. No, yeah, no. no. You just, you no. just found so, out uh, as you went along. I guess it. And um, you work? Did you uh, work while you were in there? I worked in the nursery in at night. I worked looking after the babies. I looked after the babies at night. I would feed the babies at night. 
Feeling and bottles and what have you? Yeah, bottles. So it was me and another girl now. There's another girl, she's very quiet, she was lovely. It was me and that girl. And there was other probably mothers looking after them at other times, but I used to be always looking after the babies as well. And, and were you ever there when the babies passed away? I was. That was in 94, 95, I'm sorry. Two babies passed away. One 70, was that, no, we're talking about the 70s, aren't we? Yeah, so there's one in um, February, as far as I know, and one in April. And the, the one in April, I was at the funeral, or February, one of the I was pregnant, and, but I had my child in March, so definitely February. Uh, the funeral, the girls' funeral, I went to, we were, we were brought in first, which I kind of didn't say, but we were brought into room first to look at the baby, with the baby's mother, which the girl was Down syndrome. There's something wrong with her. I hate saying it. It breaks my heart. M- mother was, was uh, Down, yeah. Down syndrome. Yeah. She didn't know. She actually didn't know. God bless her. She didn't. Do you know? She perhaps had the child was asleep. And anyway, we God looked in. The child was a big baby. Oh, God bless her. She looked, she looked big. So, to me, as I say, do you know what there's a coffin or a box? To me, it looked like a box. A box? What kind of a box? Like a brown box. A, a, a box. Wasn't a coffin, no. wasn't a small little no. baby, yeah. No, Some said they were that. little orange boxes. Lot of they were, yeah, that's what you were like, orange boxes. Yeah. Or uh, apple boxes. Yes, yes. Is it, you know. Was the baby, lying, the, baby, was the baby lying in that and his baby yeah, clothes? Yeah, the baby looked very big in it for, you know, I thought the baby looked older, but she was a newborn baby. Right. And she died when she was born. So the London said, um, got me and another two girls and the mother of the baby, Walked down the black gate, as they call them, which I know well and I won't forget it, as long as I live, and buried the baby there. Whereabouts? Just down from the black gates. Down. I know where it is, alongside a tree. Just. I was there standing there. And I so you walked down there, you didn't turn left and go into the nuns' graveyard no. area. You didn't no, go in no, through no. that no, gate. You know, and you, you, you know where the nuns' is and the headstones are. Not in yeah, there. I do. No way. No. Further, was, just keep coming, walking down. It was, you come down, it was on the right. You keep walking down. Well, I went down there a couple of times with some of the women and they, they actually tapped it down further. No, I stopped where I was and I knew where it was. By a tree? And by, alongside the tree. A few trees, but... I tell you when as you remember talking there when I was down there there was all tarn bushes and everything you'd have to tear the bushes away and things like that as you go down there now it's beautiful the way they have it all done up yes okay, and, okay. Um, so when you went so you, you all yeah. walked down and somebody carried the baby in the yeah, box someone carried there was, there was two girls and there was me and there was their mother the baby mother and there was a nun and a nun no, and was this and by day or was it by night it was by day oh no by day okay. it was by day Went okay. down, walked down the gates, and um, and when you walked the down there, all of you, little procession yeah. of people with yeah. the little mite who had passed away, yeah, was the, was the small grave already dug? It was opened. Yeah, it was opened. It was, it was a grave dug. Yeah, no, and I didn't see anyone digging it in this disease. Okay, okay. So it was opened. And, who, and, and, and somebody it. placed the baby in the box. Yeah, in there. Okay, yeah. and was it was it a sealed box? It was when, when they closed it. It was, it was opened when we saw her inside in the room. Okay. okay. And then it was closed when she was getting buried. Was there a service and, there then at the side of the grave? Well, I don't know, but there was a nun praying. I didn't see no priest there. There was a nun. There was no priest praying. Do you know, well, they had to, you, you had to pray. Well, I prayed anyway. 
Was oh, the mammy um, upset standing there? No, she didn't know what was going on. And I'm the one to give her the teddy bear. You know, I got her the teddy bear and I gave it to her. Down syndrome, mammy. Very sad. Very sad. Uh, she didn't. And then I looked at the three babies. This is kind of gets upset over this. The, the babies that I looked after in the night and the babies I looked after in the day was three babies on their own in another room. And there was something wrong with These were there babies were, with disabilities, is it? Yeah, no one would adopt them. They wouldn't be left out of They wouldn't have been adopted. They were, do you know, we used to feed them. I used to feed them. I don't know if the other girls or some of the other women feed them. But I can remember going in there, feeding the babies, and you'd be looking up and they're looking. They couldn't talk. and But they were smiling. We'd be changing them. We'd feed them. We were crying. Actually, I used to be crying looking at them. And, but I used to be talking to them and playing with them. But to me, they looked nine months. I thought they could have been older. But they were, they weren't, they weren't alongside the babies in the other nursery. Yeah, they were d- the divided from them. They, they were, were in a room on their own. From them, yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to. I, used to, I, I actually, and I keep saying to people, said, why did you have that night? I keep it because I think about them all the time. I know, and what you happened know? with them, the misfortune. Uh, yeah, and where are they now? I know where they are. They're probably, God knows, in heaven, more than likely. Yeah. People, people that wish to adopt babies from Besbra, yeah. did, they, did they call to Besbra? They, the people I were saw a, a mother and father with um, their daughter. She, I, I had to say, that some people might get upset, but I'm going to say it. And she was screaming for her mother and father to let her keep her baby. The child was the head after the grandmother and grandfather. Beautiful black curly hair. They took the baby and they took the baby's um, taken away. And they took their daughter out there. And I, you see the windows, the college chapel window, we got a tiny window. You could see a car and you'd look out the window and you'd see the people going away. You know, and you see them going away with the baby, or you'll see them, the parents. Going so, do you, with you sometimes you would have seen people who had oh, adopted yeah. a child going away with I, the child? Yeah, I actually, oh God, what I had to do, I had to go up to Dublin because they said to me, um, if you don't go to Dublin, you, you'll be kept here. And I Why were you being sent to Dublin? For what reason? To work for a district nurse. And the only way I was left up there is my baby was coming with me or I wouldn't have went up. And I, w- I wouldn't have stayed in there. They said, oh, if you don't go there, you will have to stay here and walk. They wanted me to work here in Cork because I was very good in the nursery. There were all the women were good there in the nursery. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, not, not so, yeah, so you went to Dublin to do I what kind of Dublin. work? Yeah, I'll tell you what happened. I went to Dublin. I don't know. I can't even know his name at the time. There was me, my baby, two other babies, I carried two babies, then I carried one, got into a taxi up to Cox Station, up to Cox Station to get the train to Dublin. And when I was at Cox Station, I said to the nun, I have no money for a ticket. And she said, she just married St. Joseph. Why haven't you no money? I said, I haven't, you'll have to pay for it. She didn't want to pay for it, she paid for it anyway. So I, I just carrying two babies, my own and another baby. And um I knocked in up to Dublin, got off of the train, and every time I go up to Dublin, I'm going to the hospital up there myself 25 years, anyway, and uh, off of the train, and the two nuns took the two babies, and the district nurse and her husband was waiting for me, and I went with him to remember, I can't say that, it was actually Teller, it was up in Dublin, Teller. Right, right. Yeah. So you were delivering and, babies from Besborough yeah, to I, other nuns in Dublin? I, you know, if that was going on now, and if we saw 
and um, and we send me or somebody carrying three babies, getting off and putting them to nuns. I can't even look at a nun because I I get kind of you know. Yeah. There is good nuns. There's not saying there's yeah. not bad, yeah. but there is there is good nuns. You nuns kept your baby though. I kept my baby. Yeah. I I had, well I went to Dublin. And when I uh, came home after a couple of months, I'd say it was about four or five months, could have been, uh, my father said, and the woman rang, that she's staying in Dublin, she's going to live down the country. And I wouldn't believe him. But years later, I got in contact with the woman. She's a lovely woman. I met her, she's living in Watford now. And she did leave, she said. She did leave. She had to leave. She's... She's other problems as well, you know. I'm not saying I, know, I can't yeah. discuss her problems. Yeah, that's another and story for I me. I met then. her a couple of times and she's still waiting for me. I was down twice to her house. And again, I'm going to go down again because she said she she took me in, she said, and she never forgot me. Yeah. And she took another girl in, she said. No, you lived, and you lived with her in her home? Yeah, I did. I lived in her home. And while she was at work and I would have been Was everything okay when you went back to Limerick? It was, but everyone said I shouldn't have went away. Why did you go when there's a big family there. How's it, you know, why had it to be me? But you know something? I don't know. And I and to this day, I have my daughter. She's married now. She's living in Derry. Lovely. So just just, fi- just yeah. finally, and thank you for sharing your story. Oh, when when you yeah. when you were part of the group of people that buried that yeah. small newborn baby, yeah. it was in a random part of the grounds. It was. You'd walk down. I used to walk down the okay. and the last. So and it wouldn't be identifiable. There wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a, in the nuns' graveyard. It was just in the green area somewhere it, random. I, I would have known where it was. Okay, okay. I, I and knew you, where it was. Was that the only time that you witnessed uh, a burial? Yeah, and I know there was another baby buried there, but I um, I didn't go to that funeral. There was another baby. There's two babies buried in. Two that you two that you know of in in random areas of the land. In random areas, yeah. Okay. But I was okay. at the one. Yeah. Okay. And you stood at the grave and watched the burial of one of them. You're very kind. So what can we do? I know. No, I know. I know. Over the grave. Yeah. No. No. I mean that that evidence is very very important. Did you ever give that evidence to anybody? I did. I gave it to the commission, and I am on the last nine hundred babies. You know, I did give my evidence. And did it? Was it published? Your evidence? It was. Well, Gerald has it up. Catherine has it up. Yeah. And Maureen had it up in the YouTube thing. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I gave my story. Okay. And when we came out, Maureen said to me. Look at that map. The, net, the map only came out recently, whatever, a couple of years. I said, look, there's, there's the map. There's where you were standing. There's the baby. There's where it's just buried. The map was right. I said to myself, Jesus, why didn't it come here? So the map from the house? 1950s that says children's burial ground, yeah. which is an unidentified area, unidentified yeah. area, except we see yeah. it in the map, but it's not marked yeah. as a graveyard. And like, that's where yeah, the that, baby was buried. That's where the baby okay. was buried. Okay. Okay. That's where I understand it. Thank you yeah, so much for true. taking the call, Philomena. Yeah. I know it's difficult reliving it again, but yeah, I appreciate it. it. Thank it's, you so much. It's, just, it's nice to know that some people don't believe it, but I was actually there, standing there. Yeah, and, I, well, and, I, and I'm I'm 66, and it's 15, 18, 9 years ago. And it's like yesterday. We won't forget things like that. But do you know one thing? I met lovely people out of it. And nice girls in there as well, you know. There was different parts. You see, some parts you couldn't go on, this parts you couldn't go yeah, I know, I know. And after that, then I married my husband in 1977, and I have 10 children now. Okay, fair play. Five boys and five girls. Well, I hope they're and all good to you. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they're they all good. Yeah, they are good. Okay. They didn't find out about their sister after a while, and they were all crying. 
when you told them the story. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you yeah, did. I did, I did. Yeah. I had you to. Kept and they, they were shocked. My br- their brothers were more shocked. They were kind of, they're very close now with Alda's sisters. But you know, it must be very hard for her. My own daughter, I hate saying it. I do talk to her and everything. It must be hard for her because, you know, she has to, when she's getting married, she had to actually go get her sex from Bespra. When she was expecting a communion, I had to get her sex from there. Yeah. All things still, to this day, to the convent. Never gone away, and, and the married. memories have never left you. And she's All right. married, happily right. married, and lovely husband. Well, I hope you're happy you know? too, and you sound as if you are, but oh, yeah. the memories are still yeah. with you. Look after yourself, oh, Philomena, and thank you so All much right, for taking the call. Okay, All I the hope best. it's just good for somebody else. No, it's very day. important information. Yeah. It really and truly oh, yeah. is. Yeah, thank yeah. you so okay. much. And thank you. Take care. Back okay. after 10, text 0868 104 I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news, and you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. On November 30th, 2022, our show dealt with members of the public who'd been sold inferior furniture by online companies, some of whom scam and cheat customers. During the show, a reference was made to Empire Beds and Mattresses. We accept entirely that Empire Beds and Mattresses, which is otherwise known as Empire Beds, is a legitimate and respectable entity which supplies well-made products, including beds and mattresses, to many satisfied customers. It was never intended to link Empire Beds and Mattresses with the supply of inferior furniture, poor customer service, or any scam. We apologise sincerely for the embarrassment and annoyance caused. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show You can text 0680 The Neil Prenderville Show on Cork's Red FM Two-time gold winner at the Emerald Radio Awards 2022 Apologies, jumping all over the place Pick up the phone on 0818 106 You're talking about um, Rod Stewart playing the marquee Going to play out in a Rod Stewart song um, I've opened a bit of a hornet's nest here Baby Jane, the long version of Maggie May Why not play Grace? It's got a huge Irish connection uh, A lot for Maggie May actually You see a lot of those A few for sailing and one or two for, for Baby Jane So text 0868104106 And we'll pick up on that uh, By text then over the last couple of days Certainly with regards to the protesters Protesting at the estate in Killeen's switching planning to social housing in a private estate is simply wrong. Uh, Ken O'Flynn is speaking the party line of inclusive housing, but he doesn't speak for the general public on yesterday's programme. Of course, everyone has their own view, not Ken's party view. Well, he's actually an independent councillor, to be honest. It's another plan that's doomed to fail, unfortunately. It'll be years before the mistakes really come to light. It's nothing to do with individual people. And so many people deserve houses and can't get them. Um, Taking stakes, though, in private housing estates is not the way to do it. Imagine in living in one of those private estates. Yeah, but there was a point made yesterday that historically lessons must be learned of having lots of private estates that are only private and then lots of public authority estates that are separate from it. And, you know, building two Individually, when many people feel it should it should be blended, I'm just telling you what the narrative is. And then, with regards to modular homes being built, this is quite disturbing because I know of Mallow with modular housing, and nobody told about it, or very few. And then we have protests in Mahan with regards to modular housing as well. You know the incidents that are going down in Waterford with regards to an old hotel. And now apparently McCroom. I got a text in saying, I'd like some clarity or help on this. I'm a construction worker and I've lived in Cork my whole life, served in the FCA, served in the naval services, and I've helped out in my own local lifeboat when I could. I don't have my own company 
so just do what I'm being told to do work-wise. Anyway, being sent to McCroom on Tuesday, I started work as normal until about 10 a.m. when I was informed it was modular homes for Ukrainian refugees. This is McCroom I'm talking about now. No matter what my views on this situation are, I cannot leave my job and become unemployed, which seems to be what's expected of me. Because protesters came on site peacefully on Tuesday, and I totally understood why they were there, as I actually agreed with them. However, um, this morning, and this would have been from yesterday, as I walked in, as I walked, as I had to walk in due to them blocking the road, I got smart remarks and name calling from them, making me feel like total crap just for trying to provide for my family in a country that doesn't even listen to us. So why shout abuse at me as a worker? I cannot do anything to change what's happening. So now all they succeeded in doing is turning me against them. Uh, Please leave the people building and repairing your homes, or indeed in this case, building modular houses, please leave them alone. It's not our fault. I'm at work now, nervous about going to get my lunch. All thanks to my lovely fellow country people. I have to say, I found the behaviour disgusting. The people making these decisions don't care that they're standing here. So why not go and harass those people, the ones that make the decisions to place modular homes where they are being placed? Not me, a worker. Hope you get to read this out. Um, So that's interesting because it was the first time that I heard of uh, modular homes, for instance, in the McCroom area. But we contacted the Gardaí. Um, and ask them, um, do they have any record of anything relating to a protest which took place outside a construction site in McCroom? Uh, and can you confirm that there was any kind of altercation uh, between, say, any members of the public? Because somebody else alleged that there was an altercation with a member of Angarda Shikona and a member of the public in McCroom. Uh, I got a very short response from Garda Press that said that they are aware of a protest held in McCroom. Local policing arrangements were put in place to ensure the safety of those present and minimal disruption to other members of the public. And that was all. They didn't allude in any way to what we had been told was an alleged altercation between the guards, or indeed a guard, and a member of the public. But if you're in the McCroom area listening, I'd like to get some further details on who was told what with regards to modular homes being built and set up in a zone, in an area um, probably owned by Cork County Council. Uh, for modular homes for refugees. So text 086-8104-106 on that one. But back to another story that we've been dealing with at late, as late as lately, and many people were horrified to hear of the living conditions of John, who has been all of his life working in an abattoir. He worked there by day. He was the night watchman caretaker by night, so he slept there and lived in the abattoir. But when it closed down some years ago, he stayed on. And that's where he's been living, in atrocious conditions in an abandoned, closed-up abattoir. Many people were upset about that and wondered, could anything to be done to help John? I spoke to him on air. Councillor Mick Nugent is on the case, though, uh, and has updates with regards to uh, John's situation. Mick, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. What has been happening over the past number of days since this story broke? Yeah, I look, I've been trying to contact um, various people in, in the City Council, and I was talking to somebody yesterday and the day before, Actually, just after I visited John at his um, at his place. So, so uh, what did you make? What did you make of where he's living? Yeah, I think your correspondent of the other day described it um, fairly fairly well. Like um, it's pretty basic, it's pretty sparse, um, and I'd be a bit concerned about the kind of the the mold, the conversation on the walls near where John is 
is sleeping like you know no nah, it's far from fit from purpose I mean it's it's no, an abandoned it's, it's, meat factory absolutely yeah. absolutely a lot of fall, buildings falling down around them and that it just yeah it's not even far from fit for purpose is, is kind of mildly putting it um, okay. nailed okay. but did I hear that that there's possibly um, a, a property identified that might meet, meet his needs yeah, yes, there is something there. The council have um, identified um, something. So at the moment, they're just doing the usual kind of pre-allocation checks and they'll be talking to John um, pretty shortly just to see does it suit, you know. Um, what would that be? Would that be a small little house, do you think, or a little flat or, or what? You don't know? They're looking at a couple of options. Like It could be an apartment um, that would have um, even a small back garden because, as you know, Jan does have two dogs. Yeah. Actually, two, two lovely little dogs, actually, that I'm sure he'd like to bring with him, you know. So yeah. it's just finding something that would suit Jan. So they're his only can. company. He loves his dogs. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. um, I know there's six or seven suit. at least empty in Madden's buildings. Oh. That wouldn't be a possibility, would it? The thing about buildings is the lack of garden space, lack right, of gardens, okay, okay, and okay. and the size of it. So it would be somewhere that would fit that John could have the two dogs, maybe a bit small back garden. Um, I know he'd like to be in around that pool area. So, but look, they'll be talking to John pretty pretty soon, and they'll be keeping me updated as well. And hopefully, there'll be something that will suit what they've identified will suit John. Hopefully. And if not, just have to look at the other options there as soon as, you know. Okay, but the, the, the word now is that they have identified a possible property that might meet his needs. Yes. Would that take long, yes. do you think? Um, it shouldn't take, it could be a week or two or less. Like they'll do the usual checks. Anybody that's been considered, you know, there's background checks, gather vetting, that has to be done for everybody. Um, hopefully that wouldn't take too long and they should be in contact with him. Ah, that would be great for him, wasn't he? He deserves a break. Any idea what happened to him? I don't know whether, Mick, you got an opportunity to look as to what happened to him on the housing list. It seems that, um, it seems that John applied a good bit back around 2007, um, but then a year later, it seems his file was closed. Um, Do you know why that was? Council was saying that there was um, farms that John needed to fill that weren't returned um, I know John thought they might have been missing, but that's what happened at the time, you know. But he um, had somebody so, helping him with all of those forms in 07 because he can't read or write. So, like. Yeah, uh, yeah, there seems to be a slip there somewhere. Um, but the official word is that there was outstanding paperwork and they closed yes. the file when they didn't get it. Yes. He believes that yeah. there wasn't, that they just forgot about him or lost his file. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? It can happen. I know it's happened before. No, sometimes people don't return farms or they switch address or they might miss, might miss something in the post or sometimes um, farms have gone astray as well. But look, I suppose... That's 16 years ago, man. That's a long time yeah, ago. I know, I know, I know. And it's, yeah, I know. I know there wasn't followed up afterwards. But will you keep the pressure on, Mick, will you? Absolutely, Neil. Um, I'll, I'll be honest and the council will keep me updated and it starts to lag or not. I'll go back and check, but... I said, just as I left John yesterday, I got a call from somebody who'd be kind of involved yeah. in housing, um, yeah. housing welfare cases. Like, so they're, they're on it now anyway. Good. It's the right thing to do. And thank you for your Absolutely. intervention and your help and for pushing this. No problem. Everybody appreciates it. Look after yourself. Thank you, Sinn Féin Councillor Mick Nugent for Cork City Northwest. So hopefully that's another one we'll get across the line and get sorted and his living conditions will improve dramatically from where they are currently. Uh, thank you so much, everybody gets in touch with the show. Noreen, good morning. 
Good morning, Neil. How are now, you? Now, thank you. I'm only hearing about uh, modular homes in McCroom. Um, you're in the area, and I believe that you were part of a protest. Tell me about it, because this is all news to me, McCroom. Um, uh, Tuesday, well, Monday morning, um, there was protests taken to two of the uh, TD's offices here in McCroom, uh, Michael Creed and Andreas Moynihan. Right. Um, we went home. We were... Why were you protesting there? We were protesting to, to see what was going to be happening here in McCroom with the um, asylum seekers and the refugees that were coming in into the centres. We have right. two provision centres here in McCroom. Big hotel is we, one of them, yeah. We have, yeah, we have the Riverside Hotel and we have Pens in McCroom. Now, Riverside we, and Pens, but two, two, uh, two hotels, former hotels, yeah. Yes, that's good, Neil. Yeah. Um, we then were told on Monday night, late Monday night, that there was um, a busload of 40 Arab men had been dropped in McCroom town. Um, on Monday. 40 Arab to, men? Yes. Who told you that? Um, I, my sources, I got it from the source. We came to McCroom on Tuesday. Um, we were then informed on Tuesday when we arrived to McCroom that the road is extremely busy and I apologise. Grand, we'll work through that, girl. We work, it's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we, uh, we, we got, we were approached and we were told that there was activity in the building site just outside by the St. Coleman Cemetery in McCroom and the outskirts of McCroom Town. We came to the site. Um, I know it. I know uh, that area behind behind the graveyard and behind um, the old triangle. That's correct. It's actually uh, an abandoned housing estate there as well. That's correct. It's an abandoned housing estate with a number of houses. Um, so we came and we turned up the site and we spoke to um, the builders who were high-term homes. Um, he told us that there were two modular homes they put up here. I asked them who the modular homes were for, were they for local families in the area that are looking for housing. He told me no, so they for Ukrainians. Two? Two modular homes going up here for Ukrainians onto the site with the ghost sites that's here with a number of houses on us already. Right, but only the we two mod- only two modular homes? Only two modular homes. Right. Obviously, this site is not... Um, it's not sufficient for any more houses to go on to us. Now, we then decided that there was four or five of us here that we would take a protest to the site and we would block anything that would be entry onto the site. We weren't happy with the answers we were getting. Um, so the guardy were called. Uh, PD Rays uh, arrived with a load of um, stone for the drive of this site. That would be a Healy Ray construction truck. Yes, yeah. a Healy Ray construction with truck. With stone for foundations or what have you, or whatever. That's correct, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, so we stopped that truck off and we wouldn't let him onto the site. The guard arrived. They asked us what was going on. We told them. They asked us, were we leaving? We said no. They then proceeded to direct the truck and reverse them out onto the road. And the truck left. He parked up on the old triangle pub. He stayed, he stayed there for about an hour, I'd imagine, to see if we'd leave and he could come back onto the site. So we left peacefully. Our focus is peacefully. Uh, we're not, we don't want to cause trouble. We don't intend to cause trouble. We're peaceful people. We have huge concerns from McCroom Town. We, I believe, um, checking stats that on up to October 2022, we've had 586 Ukrainians in this town. Uh, we have two centers. But before no. you, but before Ukrainian refugees came, you're saying there's 506 Ukrainian refugees in McCroom. There were there were many asylum seekers there before that. 
Yes, the provision centre here on the, the Riverside Hotel is open since 2019. How many there? I, I have no idea, Neil. I couldn't confirm as to how many people would be in that centre. So you don't have a figure for a combination of, um, say, for instance, the big hotel, the Riverside, and Penn's Hotel, what that number would be? No, I've absolutely no okay. idea. There's okay. no information for so, coming in relation to So why, why then did a construction worker get in touch with me and said that he was being called names and harassed and made to feel awful just doing his job? Um, yesterday morning, uh, we arrived on the site at, in around um, 6, 6.20 20, 6 a.m. Um, not long after we arriving, there was just the two of us here. Um, two others arrived and the high-term homes employees arrived in their van. They tried to uh, run us off of the exit that we were standing on. The guardy were called. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? They drove at us so that we'd move out of the way. So no, they're probably, no, driving at you now or trying to gain access is two different things. Uh, they, they drove at us in the, in the van, uh, obviously hoping that we would move out of the way. So they drove the um, van towards the entrance then. Yeah, Let's be fair. Yeah, at us, we were standing there. Okay. No, no, no. All we right, were okay, okay. There. I know, I know, I know. I wasn't there. So um, at that point, um, we stayed where we were. The guardy were called. Uh, a number of guardy arrived here to us. There was four of us in protest. There was, I believe, eight guardy arrived. There was a number of paddy wagons. Again, I can't stress enough that we are peaceful. We were peaceful. We intend to be peaceful. We are people with huge concerns. We are people with no answers. Did you call? Uh, did you call him names? Absolutely not. There did was you, nobody called names. Did you shout today. abuse at him? Absolutely not. Why there is he no saying abuse. you did? I have no idea, Neil. I will continue to tell you what happened in the, after this. The guardy we used heavy hands here yesterday morning on the protest line. We were pulled off the road onto the footpath and we were manhandled on the footpath by one member of Ungarda Shikona. All the other seven did not uh, step out of line in any way, shape or fashion. They were more than courteous. They're here again this morning with us. They're more than courteous. Just to but quote the information that you've provided me, we tried to block the access road and my 70-year-old husband was assaulted. And thrown My to husband, the floor. Yes, that was the second assault. We were assaulted at, at around 9.20am by a member of Angarda Shikona, three members of the, of the protest. There was four. We, the the guardy left. Uh, a truck arrived here then with the, with the parts of the modular home and, and one of the guard that assaulted us escorted them onto the site. Now at that point, there was no health and safety. Um, okay. Notice was on the gate that it was a site. We still have no uh, notices here on uh, the road to Killarney, the main car to Killarney Road, where it's very clear that um, signage would have to be put up. It's a building site, mm. there's trucks, there's artics moving in and out, there's a lot of activity around here. Um, there's no signs of, of warning the public that there's <coughs> okay. anything going on did here. You, did you film any of this? All of this is filmed. Um, the allegations you're making about being manhandled, was that filmed? <laughs> Yes, uh, I believe that you could. I believe that that was sent to you. I have no. I can't confirm that for sure. All of the incidents here in the site were con- were um, videoed. Um, it's all there for anybody to see what happened here on the site yesterday. Um, we're peaceful people. We were manhandled. We were assaulted. Are you in part of a, are you part of any organised group that um, goes to different not. locations? I, I'm, no, no. I'm. I'm. My concern for myself is my safety, my family's safety, my friends, my neighbours, 
my community. Um, we don't know who is coming into our town. Well, you earlier you said it was 40 single men. That was 40 Arabs we made on Tuesday night. We were told it's Ukrainians that are going into these houses. We don't know that. We have no confirmation that they're Ukrainian okay. people. So has, has any building gone ahead? Any yeah, construction? The, one, the, yeah, the, two modular, the, the two units are almost off and completed. Okay. Um, they obviously fly up. Um, they put them up really fast. Yesterday afternoon, we were hearing the we were hearing the protests. So there was four four of us here again. Why so few? It doesn't seem as if Macron Macron people are all that concerned. There's only four of you there. There's four or five, maybe six at the very most. Um, people are afraid to come out. Um, people are afraid of the name calling. We're being abused by the public on the side of the road. Um, well, if you're being abused by the public on the side of the road, it means that they, the greater public, have no issue with a couple of modular homes. Um, no, no, we've been called racist. We've been called troublemakers. Something if, we're not. It's, it's very clear, Need from the footage that is it, that should be in your possession this morning as to what happened here in McCrum Town yesterday. I haven't it's seen it. I, I didn't even know it was in the building. Um, I'm, I'm starting to see some of it now at this stage. Um, it's just that there's a lot of different bits and pieces sent in videos and I'm trying to find the relevant ones, or at least we are. But, I, I mean, I, I will see it when I get to see it. Um, if, if it turns out that both of those modular homes are used for, Roma- for uh, Ukrainian uh, mothers and children, will you be all right then? Well, uh, we would have no issue with Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian mothers and children. We don't have an issue with that. Link. We have, we have, the issues that we have and the concerns that we have is that there's no information coming forward. There's no communication. There's absolutely nothing here, nothing whatsoever, uh, no information coming forward. We were assaulted here uh, yesterday again at 20 past one when a truck came to drop off some more um, material for the modulars. The, the builders of high-term homes came out to escort the truck up, um, reverse it up. I'd, be, I'd appreciate if you didn't make any allegations against the actual company doing the work, Noreen, at this point in time. I'm going to stop you on that one because you're telling me something that I can't prove factually accurate. And if I don't see the videos then I would prefer just to park that part of the conversation involving the company who are contracted to do the work, if you don't mind, because that's what they've okay. been contracted to do, okay? Okay, that's okay. no problem, Neil. Yeah. But okay. if you look at the footage, the footage is very clear that the, the name All right, of the company... All let me, yeah, let, me look at, let me look at the footage and see what happens. So, in spite of your protest, the work is going ahead. Um, the work you, is going ahead. Um, two, uh, two assaults. Uh, made here yesterday in McCloom uh, on the side of the road. Okay. okay. Um, okay. Gardy. And you are made. from, you are a local to the area, are you? I am local to the area. Okay. I'm, I'm local to this area. Okay. This is a town that we live in, that we bank in, that we shop in, that we come okay. to, that we loved. Our town is absolutely overrun. Um, it's like a ghost town, really. It's becoming like a ghost town. Um, Probably like a ghost town because of the bypass. No, I wouldn't agree with that at all, no. Absolutely not. Okay. I don't agree with that. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so what are you doing today? Are you still there? We're still here today. As we're standing here in the road now, there's uh, two Gardaí, there's a truck with modular or home material on, up on top to take it onto the site. There's a standoff here this morning. Um, there's this, we're not leaving the men. Um, we need to know, we need to get answers. Without those answers being provided to us, it's only two um, of them. There's only two modular homes, Nori. It's not like as if it's forty or or sixty five like down in Man. It's two. It's two, but it's two too many. Needs. Okay, all right. Okay. You know, how uh, can you how can it be justified that there's people in this town 
looking for housing. Um, as a matter of fact, there's one person here this morning standing next to me this girl is renting and she doesn't know her position in the next number of months. She um, could be homeless, is it? She's got an well, eviction yeah. notice. Yeah. Well, I didn't ask her for any okay. of her personal All circumstances, right. but it seems okay. to be like that. Okay. Um, another thing, yesterday when we came from the, when the, um, the truck, the uh, Hilly truck arrived here again yesterday morning after they'd been told the day before that we were going to be here and they weren't to come up and come into the site. Now, I was, we were outside the gate and I walked towards the truck and I observed that on the windscreen of Hilly truck was a expired tax disc uh, expired on the 10th, 22. Why is that, re- why is that relevant? Um, if, you, if you let me continue, I'll tell you. Um, I took a picture of the tax disc on the windscreen and when I came back and looked at it, the tax disc that was displayed on the Helioway truck is actually a disc for another vehicle, a white vehicle. So the tax disc doesn't match the vehicle that it should be in, you're saying? Yes. Right, okay. And uh, can I, you, have you evidence of that? Yeah, yeah, the video should have been sent. The video was sent to you. I made a call to Mr. Hedy Ray. Um, I've always got attention to the guard. I see a tax act- disc here that expired on the 10th month of 2022. Yes. So that vehicle should not have been on the road with an expired disc, assuming that the other disc didn't fall out or anything. That's the right. disc it was showing. Yes. Okay, so that would be at least three months out of date. You're alleging it was a tax disc for a different vehicle? White. And what colour was the the vehicle that it was in? Bright yellow. Okay, all right. And was it a Volvo? I don't know. I didn't okay. look at the actual... No, I'm looking at, at the text. That is a separate matter of which the Healy Rays will have to answer for if they're driving around with an out-of-date tax disc. I get you there. But the protest... Out-of-date can- out is one thing. It's actually... The vehicle should have been seized on the side of the road here yesterday. Um, by Angarda Shikani. By Angarda Shikani, yeah. Every, every vehicle... Everybody's obliged to display a valid tax disc on your vehicle. Um, uh, if I pull up to a checkpoint and I don't have it, I'll be spoken to. I, I definitely believe, and my, it's my personal opinion, and other people might have a different opinion, that had, if I displayed a tax disc for another vehicle on the windscreen of my vehicle, then therefore my vehicle would be seized. I would believe that that would be the procedure. True enough, yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's see if you can prove that it was a tax disc for another vehicle in the truck. That would be alarming if it was bad enough as it being out of date. Let me have a look at some of these videos, if you don't mind. But you're not for moving, though. And it, it did get... I see videos here, and there's a lot of argy-bargy going on all right. I don't know who's mm-hmm. approaching who or who's pushing who, but there does seem to be a lot of argy-bargy. There's one fella here, and he's got... Uh, he's got his arms pinned behind his back by a member of Vanguard Shikana. Is that the video you're referring to? Somebody walks um, up then draped in a no, tricolour. No, that's, that's the assault. That's the assault. Uh, oh, I don't know. That, uh, I don't know. Okay, you call it assault. I mean, okay, okay. There's a guy then okay, with the, there's a guy with a okay, big huge flag. Okay. What would you What would you call it? I don't know. I'm only seeing it here for the first time. I think it could well be the guardie trying to clear a path or something, or trying to move people back. But you're entitled. Absolutely you're not. entitled to. You're entitled to legally protest. Um, absolutely. Oh, of course. And we believe that um, yesterday morning, um, the, the guardie that arrived here first yesterday morning had absolutely no issues with we, us being here. They made it very clear we were entitled to do it. They were happy with us and they, they stayed They stayed around. They, let, they could let, wouldn't let the van in um, with the employers in it. Um, the employees, they made them take their shoes out and walk up to the site with them. And then when the other guard came and used heavy-handed tactics with us, he escorted, he moved us off and moved the van and moved the truck into the site. 
Now, I suppose my issues here as well, Neil, is that this is a, that was yesterday morning, this site here and on Tuesday, there was no health and safety regulations in this site. There was no signage up. Yeah, regulations, no regulations regarding issues like this were changed for emergency housing in July of last year. The European Union Planning and Development Displaced Persons Act uh, to provide immediate protection in EU countries for persons displaced by Russia during the invasion of Ukraine means that um, a lot of work can be done without any signage, without any planning permission or without any uh, forward notice because they are deemed to be um, uh, temporary new build accommodation and structures to address the urgent need to provide emergency accommodation and support for displaced persons from the conflict in Ukraine. It's called the Temporary Protection Directive uh, and it means that Uh, that the normal planning and development act procedures do not apply to work like that um, that may well be the case, Neil. But um, well, it, it, it is the case I'm, apparently. I'm, I'm, I'm not okay. saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you okay. that's what it is. Yeah. It's irrelevant, really, as to what the planning applications are right here now. Health and safety on any building site exists, whether right. planning applications were ab- abolished or otherwise. There's an issue of health and safety when there's large machines caught with the cranes. Uh, lorries, everything going in. The yeah, public can but, have the, access to but the public site. aren't the public aren't expected to be around those cranes and vehicles moving around the construction. Well, how do they know, Neil? If there's not signs on the gate, they came out here yesterday okay. evening, obviously after we leaving here, and they put up a sign here: "Danger, keep out, caution, construction work in progress." The point is, point I'm making is that under this emergency housing change of law. They don't need to, my understanding is they actually don't need to tell anybody, whether it's McCroom or whether it's Mallow or whether it's Mahan or anywhere else. They literally can put modular homes now wherever they want without telling the public and without going through planning. That's what this regulation covers. That's all I'm saying. This is what the regulation covers, Neil. But I don't believe for one minute, and I stand to be corrected, and maybe there's somebody out there that can actually confirm this for us. Health and safety applies to every building. If I put an extension onto my house, I'm duly obliged to have it safe. Yeah. I'm duly obliged to erect site I know, notices. I know, I know, I know, I know. We're I know. here on a public road this morning, Neil, and I brought it to the attention of the Guardian on more than one occasion. As a matter of fact, I brought it to the attention of them a while ago. There is absolutely no signage on this road I'm warning anybody that's traveling this road. There's a lot of trucks going through okay. here this morning. Okay, you've, said, you've made that point. We've covered that. Let me Thank you, Noreen. Hold on a second, if you will. Tom... <laughs> Are you there? No, I just passed it there, And what are you seeing? I see a, a woman there with a, a tricolour on her, and every one of them should be wearing a tricolour. I apologize. I'm not apologizing. I'm not apologizing for Every one of them should be wearing a tricolour. I want to pick you up on a couple of things there. You're very suave about this uh, incident and other incidents before that. If I way? And, and I tell you, no, you just said it yourself. You said you can, a, a great woman to talk to, and she's well able to stick up for herself. You said only two module homes. Yet we have John, as you pick up during the week, right, who's looking for a home. But you're just, you're, you're, you're contradicting yourself in the way, Neil. Because you said it's only two module. It's a module home for picking John, Neil. It's a module home but hang, for someone. But wait a second, Tom. We identified John's plight. We broadcast oh, his yes, plight. Yes, we we and the people of Cork were really yes, annoyed about it and hopefully yes, we'll get him a yes, home because of it. But you want let me talk? Listen. I only commented, commented on you last night in your reading. You're absolutely unbelievable, especially you, Neil, for helping people in car. Okay? I, but don't be so bloody well contradictory of yourself. 
at one minute that you're saying, oh, it's only two months with homes, Dave. It's a module home for a person that lives in this bloody well country. Is th- you're saying that it's a no. module home that should be used for a person that lives yes. in this country? Yes, one on That woman was wearing a tricolour. Every bloody well one of them should be wearing a tricolour. And to be man- manhandled like that by Gary. Come on, Neil. No, no, another thing, Neil. Right? Two weeks ago, you left a sigh on the radio because here we go again on the training refugees, okay? Yeah. I want to ask you a question. No, as I said, right? You've been very good to the cock people and very good to... John, we have a, like, Tom, we, do we have any obligation at all? I know this has been spoken about over and over again, but do we have any obligation at all to people fleeing war to help like other no, European countries? You say we don't. We can't cope our bloody well selves. Do you think these people are going to go back to bombed houses? No, they're not. When they have a cushy, we need to stop. We need to stop these people coming in and sort what's here at the moment. So you as left in one, 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 one second, oh. you left the sign, Neil, right? Over, nearly two weeks over two weeks ago. Right? Here we go again about uh, Ukraine refugees, right? About the, the Ukrainian children yeah. coming into the Casper, right? But yeah. I know, after Christmas, has there been one bloody well mention of our own dying on the streets up in Cork from addictions and everything? No, it's not. It's all been about Ukrainian refugees, refugee that, refugee. There has been one mention about our own, Neil. So but, like, well, but wait a second! It's only, it's only been, it's only been, it's only been three days since John's story was Tom. John's story was on the. It's only been three days. But, but also, I mean, I constantly talk about the division that this has called cause, and it, and the blame here lies with the government and successive lazy governments and politicians who really didn't see what was coming down the track. I I understand that people are very angry, but I'm at, but at the same time we 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 have some kind of an obligation to take refugees. We're part of oh, the European oh, Union. That's brilliant. brilliant. That's brilliant. Right, so we've no obligation to start, you know, 10,000 people in our sure, own. Of course we do. That's as plain as so the nose in your face. Okay, okay. You're willing to say on the radio station there now, you just said it, that we've an obligation to take in them, right? Not them, these people, right? So we have no obligation over the last decade and 10,000 people totally to do. start this out. And this has, been, and and this has shown it up. No, no, I'm not, I'm not. I also have said in the past that I have as much of a problem as anybody else with international protection orders and men, particularly young men, and it could be yes, women for all I know, who are coming into the country with zero documentation. Um, yes. If it were anywhere else in any other circumstances, you and I would not be able to get into a country without documentation. And then, they're the being, then they are being dispersed around the country. We saw what happened in Killarney. I've covered that at length. We saw about the fights and the knives and the attacks down in the hotel please, there. And please, I understand I that people... I, I, I get I it. If, if I'm saying it's only two, maybe I was incorrect to say it's only two. Yes, it's are. still perhaps two more. But it's not as if it's 40 or 50 or 64. That's all I was saying. And would there be a problem with that then, Neil? I think the volume so of that, that, I think the volume of that, I think, the, I think the volume of that, and if they're undocumented individuals of who we know nothing about, I can understand then why people and locals would have a worry about their safety. Of course okay, I do. Okay, but you just said it there again. You said, like, I know it's only too much, it's probably too much more, and then you're on again about 60. So there'd be a problem again if someone came on the radio station and said there's a problem with 60. No, I mean it would be a scaled-up issue for sure. It would be, but I can't. I can't go on. I can't go on the air. Nor actually would I think I'd even be allowed to go on the air and start saying no one should come here. Close the borders. We don't want refugees. We only want homes for the Irish and nobody else. There should be no integration into our society whatsoever. Like that would be nuts. Exactly. 
it would be nuts. Yeah. I'm not saying so that. So give me a I'm break there. Like, I have to, I have to right, tread I some kind of middle ground on this. Thing. What did I just say a couple of minutes ago about you? I said you and your radio station have done so much. No, well, well, thank you for that. So but all I'm, I'm trying okay. to do the best I can in a very, very fractured and delicate okay, situation. Okay, me, don't come up with, with, with comments like that, man. Jesus Christ almighty. I'm sorry, but she was trying to sort out her own bloody wills fucking... I'm sorry, this, our own house in this country... I'm All, right, doing this. All right, okay, good points. You're well entitled to make them and you make them very well. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bye. Noreen, as well. So, McCroom is another issue now that we, we deal with with regards to. Uh, again, no information, but it would seem as if under law, it's plain as the nose in your face that this Planning and Development Displaced Persons Act changes all of that with regards to uh, planning, uh, notification, um, all of the different normal procedures that would be needed for anything else that would be done with regards to construction, development or housing. Anyway, we'll take a break. Text 0868104106. Back after these. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Corks Red FM. I don't mind the criticism, but let it be accurate. Somebody's saying, your man is right, as in uh, Tom is right. You were going on a few days ago about people in social housing getting them for nothing. That is not true. I never said that. I read out texts from people and there was a number of texts uh, along that line. I wasn't saying it. I was reading the text out. If I, and, and to some extent, even at that, I try and moderate the texts as best I can because sometimes they can be very, very, very cruel. Uh, but there were a number of texts like that. That wasn't me. That's just me sharing other people's opinions and texts and what have you. I'll take a quick call on this uh, this side of 11. I think uh, Jason, who signs off, Era Abu. Jason, good morning. Good morning. How are you all? And we're back, to, we're back to the issues in Mallow. Okay. Um, you wanted to pick up on this, is it? Yeah, well, no, I just wanted to make a point. Like, I'm from Kilkenny myself. I'm a, I'm a builder, like I'm a blockier stonemason. Yeah. And just so I read the comments there last night on the builder trying to make a few pounds himself, but like it was the wrong wrong way people went to protest okay so he said that when he was trying to get into the job in McCroom although they denied it a while ago that he got smart remarks and name calling and they shouted abuse at him and it's wrong to do that to an Irish man who's only trying to work and provide for his family yeah I agree 100% look I'm an Irish man I have five children at home of course like when you're going onto a building site I know the way people are frustrated at the moment. Like, I'm very frustrated at the moment what's going on in the country at the moment. Like, I'm a young person there. Like, it's it's hard to see going forward what our children have to look forward to in the future. Like, to be honest, like, the people are going the wrong way about with, with protesting at the gate. They're entitled to protest, though. Pe- peaceful protests are protected in law. Yeah, but, like, I suppose what's going on at the moment, not even just in Cork, in Dublin, like, all, and especially on social media, like, they're... It's kind of like a, a far-right movement starting there, like, with protests. But and, we and throw that around an awful lot, this term far-right, and that will also, unfortunately, then include people who aren't far-right, but are just um, worried and protective and and um, l- trying to look after their own communities, you see. That doesn't make them far-right or militant. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I apologize. Do you know what I mean? No, I mean, I know, I know that some are, and listen... I've read in the past 24 hours that some of those that are being deemed far right are going to be arrested. And it's, I mean, I even worry about that, you know? I mean, arresting yeah, people. I, look, I agree. Like, and I see the problems up in Dublin. Like, I work in Dublin in the summer. We tell like, I do a lot of work up there. And I can see how the communities are angry. Like, at the moment, it's ridiculous. Like, because when they, you, I agree with Ukrainian people coming in, obviously, they're fleeing a war. 
But like all the men are coming into the country here now as well, and all these people are getting handed a driving license, a medical card, social welfare. Like I know one or two uh, people that have families, Irish people that have families, and they have to jump through hoops to try to get social welfare, even though they're from this country and they've been here all their lives. Like. We hear yesterday. We hear yesterday that many of those working for the public sector won't give you the information that you want and you're entitled to unless you ask for it yourself. That's very worrying. They could help more. They could tell you more of your entitlements, but they're instructed not to. As in, if they don't know about their rights, don't tell them. That's really worrying. Like even for myself, like I'm out of I'm out of work at the moment. I put I done my back in there. I ruptured disc in my back last week there and I'm trying to get disability there obviously off the social welfare now I work on my life I'm self-employed and even just went in there yesterday to try and like it's like 20 forms you have to fill out why do they do that to somebody who's paid tax and worked all their life why don't they just help quickly that's what I'm saying and it's all there in front of them and like the woman said to me that it could take two to three months like where where's like how you need it now, is? man. You need it now to provide for your yeah, family how, now. How the they can do it for like, others I, now. Do it for you now. This help. is my point. Like the Ukrainians come in. Oh, look, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against the, the the refugees and stuff. But like it's it's wrong for an Irish person, for like myself, to go in try to get disability and to be told that it could take two or three months. Like and I'm sitting at home now with a, with five children. Do you know what I mean? Three teenagers and two babies, one and two. Left. What are and you I, doing? I, you have five kids to support. What are you? What? Where are you getting money from? This is what I'm saying. I'm just using what I actually works. To know for over the last while, obviously, and like that's going to run out very quickly. Obviously, like bills at home, there's like ESB rents, like you know, the schools or get kids to school and pay for uniforms and building school like this. And I don't understand how the public sector people don't look at that. Like, if you go into someone and say to them, look, I'm at home, I, I'm, it's in front of all them that I've worked on my life, I've paid all my taxes, that I have five children at home, and yet they send you back out the door and say, well, look, there's nothing they can do for two or three months. Like, that's crazy. So there is no emergency system that kicks in there where you are helped. Like, is that, that's child abuse. Like, you can't even get through to, like, to me, as a social welfare officer, you can't anymore because they're given this excuse of COVID. So you have to drop forms and stuff into letterboxes. And sure, that might get lost and you mightn't hear from Martin for two or three weeks. Yeah. And then when you do, they're saying, oh, we need another form. Do you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. That system is designed, you know, by those in authority to slow it down, make it as confusing, as difficult as possible for the working man and woman so that sometimes they'll just go away just disheartened and unable to yeah. get through the process like, you see, this, like, you see this really shouldn't be about refugees right and refugees to an extent are being used as a pawn when really yes, exactly. like when really it's it's those in authority those that are supposed to be our public servants for want of the better term that's been used historically to help people like you you're disabled from work right you have a family to support you have children to support food on the table bills to pay and they're telling you it will be months before you get a penny. Yeah. That's not a civilized society, man. Oh, it's it's crazy. Like and that's look, that's my point. Like it's it's the same for people like when the Ukrainians come in, like they're getting handed so much welfare straight away. So why can't this happen for an Irish man who was born here and bred here, reared in Ireland, that shows his taxes are showing up on their computer that everything is paid. So uh, the day could you be able to turn around and say to me, Yes, okay. 
you should have your money there. Nathan. Because in times of crisis for Irish and the Irish crises that have existed for a long time, there is no emergency strategies put in place. Uh, you can't. Yeah, you can't uh, even blame. You can't even blame the workers who told you it'll be months for that. It's those no, that make no. the system um, or break the system. But Ukrainians get blamed for they it. They were able know? to change it. They, like, they were able to change. Oh, they, it very they, cha- oh, they changed it very fast. Um, and, and then here's the Irish person. Like that's making us feel so little. Like I, I'd, I'd walk out of there like feeling obviously stressed and depressed because I'm out of work for first of all, and I'm self-employed. And second of all, as I'd go home to my kids there to try to get money together to, to, to probably beg and borrow off other people until I can get myself back into work. Like, it's, it's crazy. You're no freeloader. You're not looking for anything no, for nothing. You're no, not one of no, these that just never wants to work and give me what I'm entitled to and tell me what I can get. You're a hard-working man. No, I'm a hard... Like, I've, geez, I've worked on the building since I'm 15, 16. I'm now 36, like, so... Like, I've always worked, and even as my father, fair play to him, when I, when I was really young, he always had me out doing that. I know what you're saying. I know. There'd always be a feeling of shame coming out of there, thinking as if you were yeah. to beg for something that you didn't get. Oh, that's, well. That's exactly what you did. You're dead right. Like, you feel so little. Well, but first of all, when you go in, but then when you come out, you feel twice as bad. I don't It's like you're trying to get a loan off him or something. No, I understand why you feel the way you do, and it is a typical example of somebody who feels okay. disenfranchised while others then um, get fast-tracked. I, I get that. I'm not a fool. I do see that. I really do. Yeah. Now, look, I, like, I'm all for a protest and a peaceful protest, but like it should be in Leinster House, and that's, that's my right. attitude. Okay. Like, so, I, someone I, needs to speak up and change. change. Like, I'd love to talk to a minister to actually, as a young person to sit down and talk to him and explain to him like the reality of what's going in going on in the country like even for me but what's hap- going to happen for my children growing up I don't know man I just don't know I mean I understand why they're leaving and God knows we should let them go because um, there ain't no future here not for now yeah but what's going to happen then in 20 years like do you know what I mean we're, we're, are we going to have any Irish people left at all because at the moment the nurses and doctors are leaving but the welfare the welfare payments to refugees was immediate wasn't it? Oh yeah, immediate. Oh, well, so, yeah, so why not for a, a father with five children who injured his back at work? Have you paid? Oh, you paid in your PRSI for all of this, incidentally. Oh yeah, like pay-related social not, insurance in the event of something going wrong. It's yours. But even trying to talk to a politician about it is crazy. Like they won't, they right. won't anyone talk to you unless there's a vote, and then they're then they're called to my door. It's shocking, it's shocking man. It's shocking, Jason. I, I'm out of time, man. But I hope things improve for you. I can understand your bewil- bewilderment and others can as well. I hope it improves. No problem. Listen, thanks for the time, Neil. Look after yourself. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. I'm Rory, and I'm Valerie, and you can join us for the very best in local, national, and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench every Saturday and Sunday from six on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show Very busy morning as usual but just as a by the way we have uh, giveaway as well in association with Cork Airport who are going from strength to strength and adding new routes all of the time and new airlines and Vueling.com are on board and have been and fly direct to Paris Orly and we got a wonderful weekend break for two in Paris uh, courtesy of Vueling Dot com and Cork Airport. You can park up for free at Cork Airport. You'll use the Aspire Lounge. You'll board the plane. They have beautiful aircraft. Velling have beautiful aircraft. And then fly direct with hotel accommodation in Paris. So it's your spontaneous stories. Things that you just dropped everything and decided to do 
at the last moment. You know, we had some great stories this week, so keep those coming. Text 0868104106 or indeed email your story to neil at redfm.ie. Just staying with the issues that we've been talking about in the last hour, and of course it's never far from the news, and we have uh, a protest at McCroom ongoing at the moment regarding modular houses. Spoke to Noreen and others on that. Lots of texts on it. Of course, there was also concerns in Formoy, uh, concerns in Mallow, uh, I- issues down in Waterford with regards to an old uh, hotel um, that's going to be uh, you know, repurposed. And of course, we've heard this all over the country. But many people talk about uh, the division that it has created in our society. I did hear uh, at the weekend, I was listening, I think it was an RTE, they were telling us about the numbers of Ukrainian refugees that were here. It's somewhere between 70 and 80,000. One of the questions that was being asked is, um, how many is expected to come across uh, 2023? And the the figure that was given that it was about anywhere between 120 and 140,000. So considerably more to come at a time, of course, when Irish people are crying out for housing. So on all of those matters, but primarily... Um, with regards to um, MEP Billy Keller, who joins me by phone. He's just come back, I believe, from Ukraine, joins me by phone. Billy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Can you, can, is, was this your first trip, or had you been, say, 12 months ago or before, in the sense that can you compare and contrast as to what Ukraine is like now? Yeah, it's very different. Um, I was actually there. It's my third uh, visit to Ukraine. I was there just um, eight days after the war commenced. We went into Lviv, and that was the most harrowing scene in the sense that you saw hundreds of thousands and when I say hundreds of thousands that was no exaggeration in the first couple of weeks there were several million came across the border uh, into the European Union but we were standing on that border at the time and at, at any one stage there could have been a quarter of a million people uh, standing on the roads uh, trying to cross the borders into Poland and into Hungary and Slovakia so um, that was uh, you know the first indication that I witnessed that wouldn't show that you know something big was happening yeah. other than what we were sort of seeing on television these were people uh, streaming across many uh, women children uh, and elderly people as yeah, well yeah. Um, I then went back in, in, in April when uh, they had just liberated around Kiev and Bucha and Irpin where you probably have all heard about the mass graves and we witnessed uh, the unearthing on those graves and bodies been taken out and just coming out last week the difference in Kiev for example it's no longer the panic and the fear um, of you know that the Russians are uh, imminently going to come down the street with a tank that is gone they're now trying to plan and the eventuality of keeping electricity on, um, you know, reconstruction, uh, building up their, their, their yeah. apartments that have been uh, knocked. So there is a different mood in terms of they no longer just, you know, saying, can we survive the Russian onslaught? They now begin to look at how they can uh, start a rebuilding program. Timmy Dooley said, well, you're the same trip as Timmy Dooley, the senator. Yes, he said on RTE a couple of days ago that people in Kiev or Kiev are getting on with their lives, and he also said, worse to the fact that on the Polish border, you don't see any more droves of refugees fleeing Ukraine. That those vast numbers, and you're saying in this time last year, maybe a quarter of a million, they're gone. Oh yes, I mean we crossed the border. It took us um, yesterday morning. Uh, we were crossed the border around six o'clock Sunday morning. Uh, sorry, uh, Wednesday morning, my apologies, we went in on Sunday and out on Wednesday. Um, yeah, it took us about an hour to cross. Um, before that, if you didn't have um, security, if you didn't have, um, uh, you know, sort of a, a fast lane, people would have been waiting uh, maybe, you know, a day, 36 hours at the time. So the, the, the numbers of people crossing, in fact, there was as many going back as there was going out. But, I mean, this is all very dependent, Neil, on what happens in terms of 
the war in the eastern part of Ukraine. Yeah. I mean, if Russians make advances, if they start bombing um, Kiev again, if they start putting in a lot of missiles into Kiev and, and, and other cities, well, then you're going to see people moving okay. again. But Ukrainians don't want to leave. They want to go back. They want to stay. But, I mean, some of them just actually have no home. They have no house. I mean, we visited Irpin uh, last year. There was 150,000 people living there. Uh, it no longer exists as a, as, as, as a town. It is bombed out shells of apartment block after apartment block. Uh, nobody can live in the place. So, I mean, that is, that is what has happened to the people that are, are, are coming across. Okay. Most okay. people that are coming across are coming across because they don't have a home to live okay. in but or I, even but basic are, shelter. Are you, are you aware of the ever-growing disharmony here at home? I mean, I, I'm, it's not that I'm, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that people are, are, are angry or annoyed because they regard all of those coming in as economic migrants because genuinely Ukrainian refugees were fleeing war but it's getting very divisive here at home now with our own housing crisis. You're aware of that? Oh, absolutely I am. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I speak to people, people contact my office, I, they, they email me. I mean, I also get lots of emails. I get a, a lot more emails actually the other way being truthful but I mean, I, it is, it is a divisive. It is being fomented as well and encouraged that division. Um, uh, by, by, by far-right elements and there's no point in saying that that is not happening. That is happening on social media uh, platforms and it is happening on but, the streets as but well. But they're not I all far-right activists no, no, though. No, no, they're not. I'm just saying it's being fomented by that. You might uh, get but, emails I mean, from people who probably have a very good job or a beautiful home and have worked hard and are comfortable but not everybody is like that, you see. No, but the, the point I'm making, Neil, is, I mean, we have to look at it in the context of the Ukrainian issue separately from everybody else. These are coming under, under a temporary scheme from Ukraine into the European Union. They don't want to be here. They're here because they have no place else to go. Their homes have been bombed yeah. and their lives have been shattered. They, they, they want to go home. So they're coming here on a very temporary basis. Uh, others are coming on, under a different scheme called international protection. Where are you on with the international protection order, people that are coming here? Um, a lot of them having destroyed their documentation and no Garda checks. Where are you at with that? Yes, well, I mean, the, I know that the Department of Foreign Affairs and the Department of Justice have been asking airlines to ensure that they, you know, assess the documentation correctly, that people can't get in unless they actually have proper documentation. I mean, there's no doubt the, there is huge inefficiencies uh, in the international protection scheme. I mean, the length of time it takes to adjudicate on whether a person is entitled to stay here uh, under international protection when they apply for asylum can take years. And, Neil, we had this debate 20 years ago. We, we had this, uh, like, long before we had uh, a lot of Ukrainian refugees coming to Ireland. This debate has been going on a long time. I remember having and being at public meetings in Cork and elsewhere um, with regard to the issue of housing people who were applying for asylum 20 years ago. So, I mean, you know, this issue has to be addressed in a way. And I'm just concerned that, you know, while it is, while there is a lot of people who are anxious and concerned, they might be used, saying the health service are under pressure, education uh, schools are under pressure to house. But, but the issue here, Neil, the issue here, Neil, is like we can't allow uh, or, and, and foster hate to, try, to go across the entire community because people will get injured. And people could could get badly attacked, and this happened before. But I spoke to him. No, but I mean a typical example: a builder, right, who damaged his back at work. He's at home now, injured, right. He's paid his PRSI and his tax all his life. Five young children, mortgage to pay, heating bills to pay. He was told by his local social welfare office there is nothing that they can do for him. That his application for benefits will take months. Now that's not a far right individual. That's just a man trying to support his family. But yet they can see 
and I hate using the word others. It's almost as if you put the word others in inverted commas. Getting everything in an emergency situation straight away. His heart's broken. But, but you, you know, you, Ukrainian people, when they come in, they're coming in under temporary protection. They're entitled to come into Europe. They're entitled that. to work. And we have an obligation. I understand or, that. But the or, people, but they, yeah, we have no, an no, obligation but, but, to but our own as well. But this, but this is exactly the problem. The man who was waiting for months for his social welfare assessment, uh, that has nothing to do with the fact that a Ukrainian is crossing the border uh, in Poland, as I speak to you. That has nothing to do with it. That is an internal uh, situation with regard to the social welfare system in Ireland. People from the Ukraine come in, they apply for a PPS number, they get the PPS number and they get a set payment. That's what that is. The inefficiency in dealing with this particular man who hurt his uh, back at work has nothing. But it's not an inefficiency. And, and, and it's a problem. system that's been designed by successive governments and successive members of this public sector yes. and civil servants yes. to make it this way, to make to slow it down to dishearten people, to hope that they'll go away, to not realise what their entitlements are. It's created by politicians like you and your party and other parties who should be running the country more efficiently. Yeah, but that, but that, but that, you can't blame the Ukrainian for that, Neil. I mean, no, I'm not. Oh, listen, I, and I get grief no, because I say I, yeah. I, I do not blame them. It shows up the inefficiency <laughs> and the being asleep yeah, at the this, wheel for this, decades. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the the point that you're making, you see, is also being used by others to foment hate and to, to encourage a very deep divisions in society. That is the problem. Not everybody so, I mean, is far right. Back, the man that hurt his back um, and is waiting for ages for his social welfare payment, that is a failure of administration within the Irish context. And I think it's, a, and you know, we, we all do it from time to time. Oh, it's because uh, others are coming into the country or there is a problem because something else is, is happening. The, the bottom line here is at the moment, there is millions of people in Europe, there's 70,000 of them in, in Ireland. They don't want to be here. Some of them are going back, but where there is uh, risk to their lives and their properties in eastern Ukraine, there are still some people coming across the border. But people's sons and daughters are leaving the country now. They're going to Australia in their droves because they see no future here. They know that they will never ever get a job that will pay enough to pay for an exorbitant mortgage. They know that because of a shortage of housing by successive governments who didn't build it and councils who didn't build them. Um, again, that is not blaming Ukrainian refugees but it's been, we're being shown up now. Yes, but I mean, I think uh, in fairness, I mean, when you look at the unemployment figures in Ireland, when you look at where we are in terms of standard living, the issue here about housing is that we simply cannot build enough homes uh, to, to house our people. And the population is increasing dramatically. But they're lashing but up mod- modular yeah. homes, Billy, out the Inia, and they don't, and they've, and they've bypassed they're, they're, they're all of the regulations the are being bypassed with regards yes. to planning. Yes. They're actually not. They're actually not putting up modular homes. That is the problem. I wish they were putting up modular homes, but they actually aren't putting up enough. If they were putting up some modular homes, it would address some of the pressures that we are talking about on the phone at the moment. The difficult. Oh, dang it! I lost him there. I don't know why that is. I think he might be back in Brussels. Is that line gone? Yeah. yeah. Okay. If it comes back again, well and good. But uh, if it doesn't, we'll just move on. Um, meanwhile, Jenny, good morning. Hi, Neil. Are you Hi. local in McCroom? Yeah, living okay. in McCroom my okay. whole life. I okay. um, emailed my local TD, Andreas Moynihan, back in the 8th of December. Long, long email outlining who I was, my concerns, 
I'm going to have daughters that are going to be going to secondary school in the crew. So, Barb, I hope you can hold on because I'm not being rude to you, but I will finish the conversation with you. I will promise. But I think online it should be like it says line two. So I'll try it again. Billy, you dropped on me. You there again? Yes, I'm, I'm back again. Just, just just to finish up, the point being by Irish people is give my son, give my daughter a modular home. Well, I don't believe, like the modular homes that are being proposed are very temporary in nature. Uh, I mean, certainly we should be building homes permanently. That is the issue. So, I mean, modular homes would only be an addition in terms of very temporary accommodation for people who are coming in and staying for a period of time. I mean, but I don't believe you know, that we can solve the long-term housing crisis in Ireland by building modular homes, you know, these very temporary modular homes uh, for, for people. I mean, we have to start building homes for people, expanding. And one of the issues that people will be... We know that, but uh, you didn't do it. Will, yes, but Neil, but Neil, one of the issues that people will be talking about uh, and is already very evident is that we have a shortage of labour in Ireland. We have a shortage of labour in terms of construction workers. Right I love the way the politicians do that. Don't put spin, don't be putting no, no, spin on it. No, no, Come on. No, but this is a, this is a significant. This is not spin. This is a fact. It is spin. This, You're this saying that governments didn't get build enough houses because there wasn't workers to build no, them. No, no, no. But what I'm what I'm saying is that we will need people in this country to help us build homes. We will actually need people to help us build homes. I just think that there is, you know, that, that is an issue that has to be addressed. Is how do we get enough people with trades and skills to build the homes that we want? We've all heard it before. It is not a shortage of, of money. It is not a shortage of capital. But there is a significant shortage of people and skills to do that. And that's going to be a challenge for the next number And we need, now, we need an home, open border for that. Home. I understand. We need people to come in here to work and raise families. Absolutely. 100%. It's not about that. Exactly. You know? It isn't about that. It, it, uh, just back on the international protection orders. Um, and this is a story that's been talked about for decades. I was reading an article back in 2015 that was talking about issues between Ireland and the UK Home Office because there was blatant abuse even back then of common travel areas between Ireland and the UK, where you had many people from outside the EU were in the UK, their visas were about to expire, and rather than risk deportation, they came into Ireland via Northern Ireland, but now they can just arrive on airplanes with no documentation and we welcome them in. Local communities are worried for their safety because they don't know who these people are. How can we close? Should that yeah, loophole well, be closed? Yes, I mean, the, the issue here is how, how do people get on planes without proper documentation? I mean, I, I'm at a loss to understand that. Every time I go through any airport uh, before I board any plane, I'm always asked for two things. That's my boarding pass and my documentation. Uh, so the idea that people can come in from third countries um, is, is beyond in terms of, uh, you know, outside of um, the UK and Ireland coming into a non-Schengen. It's something that I can't understand. And I know that the Department of Justice and the Department of Foreign Affairs and others have asked airlines to to address the issue, but I think it's deeper than that. There's a a problem in how we actually, you know, assess documentation in advance of people. They're destroying them on the planes, right? By all accounts, tearing them up, whatever documentation they have that allow them on the plane. But when they get to an Irish airport, they're welcomed into the country. They're given an application under the International Protection Order. And I know it's far from ideal, but they're accommodated while that's being processed. Well, of course, they're being accommodated while they're being processed. I mean, the issue here is that, number one, the, 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 the system of people being able to dispose of their documentation is certainly is a problem. But number two, I mean, there's an obligation as to house people while they're, proce- while they're being processed. The issue is that the application process takes too long. 
it, sometimes it takes years. I mean, we've had cases uh, as a TD for many, many years where people could be waiting extraordinary lengths of time going to, into school, uh, you know, going right to a national school and then being found that their parents, uh, uh, you know, will, uh, asylum has not but, been accepted. But, the, but, and they're, but they're this system deported. is a dangerous system if it's going to be allowed to continue like this because without wanting to sound in any way racist or against people moving from A to B, we literally have no idea the reasons as to why some people are coming here or what their background is. They are being dispersed into local communities. And that's why there was a protest and a standoff between Gardaí and protesters, say, in McCroom, because they think that it could be upwards of, say, for instance, 20 international protection young men. And locals are worried about that, or at least some of them seem to be. Like, isn't, isn't that a worry, really, uh, that we have no control? Anybody that wishes to come here can claim asylum or international protection orders and be allowed to come in without documents. It's an open border as such. Yeah. Yes, I mean, there's a lot of Irish young men went to New York to leave without documentation are still there. Uh, 35,000 of them at least uh, in, in the eastern parts of the States. Uh, I mean, just because you don't have documentation doesn't... You're right, they would have gone in on a holiday visa, yeah, I accept criminal. that. Yeah. They, they, they were they were just because you don't have documentation doesn't mean you are a criminal or that you are potentially a massive risk. But I mean, I accept that we do need to speed things up. We do need to find out who people are, where they're coming from, why they're coming, and how they're getting here, and address those issues and those weaknesses. But I mean, look, just because a person comes into the country doesn't automatically mean that they are true. a criminal That's true. and that they're an immediate threat to society. But 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 would you be asking people who protest then to stand down? Look, people are entitled to protest, but I found it very disturbing, you've been quite truthful, to see people protesting outside uh, areas where people had come from war-torn, ravaged areas with young kids. Um, I found that deeply disturbing. Protest outside the doll, uh, protest outside where, where, where uh, you know, politicians gather, um, you can have public protest. But the idea that you would stand outside reception centres, uh, some of these people are very vulnerable. They're here for many, many reasons. Uh, and I just find that that is difficult uh, to to accept. Uh, for all all intents and purposes, go down to your city hall, go down outside it all, uh, you know. But certainly, the idea that when people come off a bus, uh, that they are you know shouted at and uh, and harangued is the most distasteful thing. But Let's should the public just I mean, very finally then should the public? Yeah. If we were received like that across the across the world, as we were for many many years in that type of uh, way, with people you know attacking us, shouting at us, telling us to go home, we should know better more than anybody else. Do you think then, at this stage, you know, with regards to what's happening in various localities around the country, where um, the public aren't being consulted with, residents aren't being consulted with, they just see plots of land all of a sudden and builders go on there and gravel is going in and they start to build modular homes. Do you think that that's right, that people should, do you think not think that people should be consulted before this happens? Yes, I do. I, I think that there should be a broad kind of uh, local consultation. I mean, uh, in fact, when uh, there was reception centres put into Corkner Centre in the constituency area and the TD, we used to set up some local uh, uh, liaison groups. Uh, we worked very well, even in Glowntown and the old um, uh, Ashburn House Hotel, for example. Um, you know, and that's if you go down, you ask the community there now how how, how people integrated, how they settled in. Um, but bear in mind, most people who are coming from Ukraine are coming. Uh, for uh, ten, very temporary purposes. Others that may be coming in on international protection may be coming for other other reasons altogether, wanting, wanting to leave a country for specific reasons. But from the Ukrainian perspective, uh, you know, these people are coming in, they're coming in for a short duration, and they want to go home. 
Uh, and I just think we have to be conscious of that and we have to keep things in perspective. Of course, the uh, individuals may have concerns, may have fears. You know, there's always the fear of the unknown. Uh, but, I mean, as a nation, we know what it was like to be uh, driven from our own land and we know what it's like to be badly received. Uh, but the, yeah, I know all of that, that but is, is, that, is that reason, yeah, but, is that historic yeah. reason good enough for taking a risk then? But, but I don't think we are taking a risk with the, the Ukrainian people coming I'm in. not talking about Ukrainians, I'm talking about international protection orders. I'm talking yeah, about, that's, that's, I, I, that's, on a personal yeah, level, I understand their obligation. I know people, I've seen them, their misfortunes, their traips in the roads with their children, I've seen them. I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about people undocumented arriving being facilitated while they're being yes. processed, of whom we know nothing about. Yes, well, I know that uh, you know, Mark, when he was teaching, and now the Minister of Foreign Affairs, the Department of Justice and others have said that they do have to look at how they, how, how this is happening, why it is happening, uh, you know, how people can get into the country without documentation, even if they destroy it in the, uh, on the planes or, you know. But the weaknesses in the systems have to be addressed. But the overall weakness is that it just takes so long to assess people and that means that you have a huge backlog of people in the country that they don't know whether they will be granted asylum or how long it will take before their, their application is processed. That has to be addressed for everybody's sake including the applicant themselves because we've had it in the past where people were here so long they put down roots in communities they had children uh, they were going to school they were completely integrated and I have seen the other side of it Neil as well where people have come to me and asked me to make representations when I was a TD so that people wouldn't be deported because they were here so long. Yeah, they and they shouldn't be deported so if they set down community. routes and they came here through the proper process and channels, though. They shouldn't be. And they should be allowed to work and rear their children and but, send but, them to but school. See, but see, but see Neil, Neil, they didn't at the time. They were coming in to apply for asylum. Oh, but they would and have by, had the proper by, by, documentation by, for under which to apply for asylum. Well, sometimes they would and sometimes they would not. Okay. I mean, people come in under various okay. ways okay. to okay. apply for asylum. I mean, people who cross the channel from France to England uh, are, are coming in through a, a, illegal routes, but they are applying for asylum. Okay, let me get some more calls on the air here. Thanks for coming. Just getting more documentation, but I've covered an awful lot of ground with you, Billy, and I'll let you get on. Thank you so much for taking Thanks the call. Thank you very much, Billy Thank Keller, you. MEP. The what am I seeing here? It's a freedom of information. Oh, it's a breakdown of the amount of people who are coming in. Uh, this is latest stats from the Department of Justice. I'll come back to it in a few minutes' time. Uh, Jenny, my apologies for holding you. Just picking up on your conversation. Is there anything you wanted to respond to what Billy Keller had to say there, incidentally? Oh, he'd make you sick, wouldn't he? Why? Sorry, no, he wouldn't. Just, well, he actually wouldn't make me sick. No, but why does sorry, he make you he'd sick? Make you sick. I just think back. He's been over to Ukraine three times in the last year, a war-torn country, and about crossing borders and everything. And the place, like, you can't question what the government are doing because they're helping poor people from war-torn countries. That's what makes me sick. They put other people above their own citizens that have been working, paying taxes their whole life. I have a family member living with me. She's been homeless for three years. She's 10 years on the council of Stimacrew. Mm. And they'll go away and they'll buy up sites and they'll do them up and they'll give them to Ukrainians, refugees, in inverted commas. Are they really Ukrainian refugees? That's, what up, that's another issue altogether. But they're giving them to these people coming in claiming refuge, but they don't give a crap about countless people that are like children. What he, Joe and Billy turned around and said, oh, but this is only temporary there for the refugees that are coming over. It's only a temporary measure. Like, they'll only do for two or three years. Number one, what a waste of money. And number two, okay. why not put why not put our, our women and children that are in, in um, 
hotel accommodation. Why are Ireland? they putting modular homes in McCroom next to homes that are unfinished? Then they'd be fantastic homes if they were finished. I know them. There's a line of them there. They just sit there. Uh, they're going to buy that site and they're going to do it off and they're going to give the houses that they're going to fix up the rest of the houses that weren't done and they're going to throw in another two modular homes and they're going to give them to people outside of McCroom that are okay. coming in screaming asylum. And what's the reaction and in McCroom if there's only a handful protesting? What's the general atmosphere? The general thing is, Neil, that nobody wants to speak out about this in case they're called racist because you have the politicians and you have the media and everything calling anybody who speaks out about this far-right, racist, xenophobe. So you can't open your mouth because you're just labelled with all those, basically. So okay. nobody wants to stand on the side of the street. There's very few people who want to put their face out there because Antifa and the left will tear them apart, will get them fired for their jobs, they'll harass like where you work. I've nothing to lose. I'm a stay-at-home mother, so okay. and my face is out there on Twitter. I'm a real person. I call out the TDs. What they're doing is all wrong. It's gambinism. You say it's, it's fe- you. You say in your text, "We're feeding our neighbours' children and letting our own starve." That's that's a very strong statement to make. That's exactly what we're doing, Neil. I have cousins that are in their twenties, going to college, living at home with their parents. They're in the depths of depression. They've only gotten through three years of lockdown. They're paying for UCC. They're paying thousands for this college course. And what's going to come of it in the end? They're going to have to leave their family behind and go to another country. Okay. We're forced to immigrate. We don't want to. But our governments are happily taking in everybody else and putting them above us. So we have no choice but to leave. Oh, we know, have an no EU obligation to help and uh, give sanctuary to Ukrainian refugees. We cannot refugees. out of that obligation, Neil. If you look up... But why should we opt out of it? Why, why would we Because be? we've taken in, what is it, 100,000 now? And our health uh, Well, you know it's not 100,000. You see, crisis. that's the problem. Don't be putting legs on things. It's not 100,000. Sorry, is it 70,000 uh, Ukraine? And sorry, is it uh, 20,000 IPS? So... It's close to um, for the for the for the entire year of 2022 from the Department of Justice, these would be people who would have come here with no or either no or false documentation, who went on to claim asylum, and I'm assuming this would be international protection orders. For the entire year of 2022, the figure is 5,074, of which 3,506 were male and 1,568 were female. So the vigour of those who came in through Dublin Airport with false documents or no documents um, is 5,074. It's a substantial figure nonetheless. And in Neil, they're, whatever, they're coming in without documentation, a lot of them, and then the Gardaí are accepting them in, or IPAS, whatever, they're being taken into hotels and they're being given bed and board three meals a day and our homeless then have to pay to stay in the Simon and they have to leave all day and walk the streets like it nearly makes you cry how corrupt this country is and how beaten down our people are sorry for getting upset Neil but it's just it's so much like it's so much and then you're labelled and you're shout down and that's why people won't stand up in the room because they're afraid okay Okay. Okay. It's just terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Okay. And I know you're saying it's only two modular homes, but I felt I, I was actually saying how well you spoke the last day when you were uh, speaking to the council, saying why wait, make this man wait and get his time back when there's people coming into the country being put up straight away? Why make that poor man that's living in an abattoir that's worked his whole life? Why leave him there? People seem to you be know? annoyed with me saying only two. 
Yeah, because Neil, okay. it, it's only okay. the start of it. It's only okay. the start of it. Okay. Neil, there's three right. houses in there as well that are being done up that were probably given to them. And how many are on the council list in McCroom begging for homes that are living still with their parents that okay. are struggling? All right. No, I mean, I understand Thank what you're you. saying. Thanks, Jenny. Take care. We'll come back after the break. Text 0868104106. Two goals at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. In other stories, uh, with regards to song lyrics from earlier this morning, Delilah, come on, Neil, you're turning into a total snowflake. Do you want people going to sporting events as quiet as going to mass? These are battlefields. A win is a must against some of your biggest rivals, like Cork v Dublin, where battle songs are sung and forget about, forgotten about after the match. If you don't have banter and singing, you don't have an atmosphere. It doesn't have to be vitriol. But there is no love lost in a lot of these games. Well, we were talking this morning about Delilah and the lyrics of Delilah, the, the song, the Tom Jones song that sung at Welsh rugby matches and Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. There are other, and of course, the lyrics in Delilah, of course, involve um, stabbing a woman. And I, I just always found that song, those lyrics, disturbing. I'm, I'm far from a snowflake. I mean, if you know me at all, I'm quite the opposite <laughs> to it. Quite the opposite in many different ways. Um, and much of it, I suppose, to some extent, you have to check when you're on the air presenting a radio program because it's about balance, really, isn't it? But there's other song lyrics then that I also found quite alarming, like Bruce Springsteen's song, I'm on fire. Hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Did he go and leave you all alone? I remember thinking, whoa, that's a bit rich as well. Um, and anyway, between that and many issues this morning, uh, the modular homes, say, for instance, in McCroom, I passed the area four times yesterday when dropping the kids to school and going back to collect them. There was a very small crowd at half eight in the morning, four people in their 60s and 70s. So I doubt they were intimidating anyone. You can see it online in the videos that it was, uh, it was the other way around, if anything. Uh, I passed again at two o'clock and it was a different crowd there, a bit younger and again, only about six. I know these people and they aren't one bit intimidating, the group that were protesting. They got awful abuse online for protesting, though. It was shocking what I read. Uh, but I do genuinely think that the workers or the drivers of the trucks um, um, were exposed to, um, actually it said, the tax disc is an issue. Um, again, they love to get to the bottom of that, actually, a truck with an out-of-date tax disc. An allegation then also that the out-of-date tax disc was actually belonged to a different truck. Anyway, people are angry. It's about the lies they're being told. I can understand in other areas that workers might be intimidated. But yesterday in McCroom, the workers were not intimidated by the protesters. As the worker told you this morning, no way. If the politicians were telling the truth to locals, half of this would not be happening in the first place. So that's a response to issues in McCroom. I just see like reams and reams of texts on this and others as well. I'm getting quite backed up. So I'll pick it up in the morning, promise you that. So do keep your... Your text coming. I'll try and get to as many as I can. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. But finally, in other news, we have a great weekend break in Paris, courtesy of ourselves and um, Vueling Airlines and Cork Airport to give away. If I can get two spontaneous calls on the air right now, I'll be doing very well. Pat, good morning. Neil, how are you going? Good, my man. Share your story for what limited time I have. Jesus, Neil, how do I start? At Neil, the beginning. I used to, I used to, <laughs> used to have a free basketball many years ago in National League. We went down to Tralee Sports Complex. My colleague and I in local derby on, great game. Sweat was pouring off me after the game. I said, Jim, I'm going in there for a swim by. It's about 10 to 9. Everything taken off, jumped in. Lo and behold, what was going on inside in the pool? Never saw it. In over 65 women's swimming lessons. <laughs> They were say, lock, stock, and bottle. 
You were naked in the water, were you? I was. I was naked. In was a public naked. swimming pool? I was. You see, the pool was attached to the dressing rooms. Why did you, why didn't you leave dog. your jocks on? Why didn't you get a pair of togs or something? So I knew that there was no one in there, boy. Moment of madness, get to scare off. You jump in and the sweat will come off me straight away. There was I. Yeah, you didn't even have a shower before it. Nah, Neil, I didn't. Neil, come on. <laughs> Jesus. That's what I did, boy. That's what I did. And people so, know me. No, we'll be on. So, okay, that was yeah. a spontaneous act, jumping into the pool naked. Mm. Naked, yep. lock, stock, and two smoking no. barrels. But That's right. how'd you get out? <laughs> how did I get out, Neil? Um, the pool was, was full like, of over sixties getting a swimming lesson. Uh, Women. Uh, I was um, like Mr. Bean. I crawled under the water, put two hands over them, and there was I going back into the male dressing room. Did they see you? They did. Did <laughs> <laughs> you? What did they say? Did they, did, um, Any choice comments? Pardon me. Was there any? Oh, I, there was no. There was no comments because once I got up those steps to the pool, by I was inside that dressing room about <laughs> one point eight seconds. Lynn for Christie wouldn't have caught me. Running, <laughs> and there was I, blah blah blah, as we say in the world. And that was it. Two hands over it and straight in. Naked is the and day I you came into the world. <laughs> they, you know what, Neil? I came into the world that way, and I go out that way, and I thought that was the end of the world that night. <laughs> I thought the pool was closed. You know, you, you closed, and I just jumped in and. Oh, fuck, it's a size. You should have oh, gone to Specsavers, pal. I tell you one thing, I said the women who had glasses on need to go to Specsavers with their goggles. Do you hear me? <laughs> Thanks, pal. Stay listening. Helen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are oh, you? Good, thank you. So we're back to the days when you were working in Dunn Stores, Patrick Street, in Drapery. The 80s, was it? That's right, Neil. My, I used to work in Dunn's, and my story is about myself and my friend, Fiona. We were walking at 10 o'clock in the morning, and we were walking down Barrack Street together with our post off our own Dunn stores uh, uniform on, and the two of us looked at each other and said, it's a beautiful day when we just get the bus somewhere. So we said, feck it, we will. So we rang from the phone box in Barrack Street, and we rang work, and we said... We're sorry, we um, we were out the night before, myself and Miss O'Driscoll, and we had a Chinese, and we were, we had food poisoning. So ah, we why did you it. pick on the poor old Chinese to give the, the excuse of food poisoning? <laughs> why did you say we had an Italian or a Thai or we had bacon and I cabbage? Or? I, it was just like that spur of the moment. It was actually my friend made the... They always get blamed for the food poisoning. It's very unfair. It's like, it's all unfair. <laughs> But that's what we said anyway, Neil. All right, okay. We, we went downtown. We got the bus down to Kinsale in our Dunn Stores uniforms. Beautiful day. So we had a lovely day down in in, um, in uh, Kinsale. Had a few drinks in the afternoon. Got a bit of a tan on us. So I came home and lo and behold, my mother says to me, did you go to work today? I did, yeah. She says, you didn't. You were seen getting on the bus. She says, down in, inside in town. My uncle is a postman and he delivers in town at the time. And didn't he see myself and my friend getting on the bus? <laughs> so my mother gave out, helped me. Next day, anyway, myself and my friend back into Dunn's stores. You're going into Dunn's now with a tan. <laughs> yeah, you see, this is, we were so stupid, Neil. We thought we'd get away with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Off into Dunn's, back into work the next day. And Mr. Candon looked at our faces. See the boss, was he? Oh, Mr. Candon, he was a tyrant. <laughs> he was and he just looked at us with the tan on and he just said, 
that's it, she says. You had a nice day yesterday, did she? And we just nearly died. Because when he talks, Mr. Tandon talks to you, you listen. But we said, it was just the moment of madness. We had a great day. And I, I still remember to this day. And we had great times. Great times. So and if it was your time over, moment. you wouldn't have changed one bit of it? I wouldn't have changed nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> right, okay. Only I probably would have brought, brought a bikini with me because we were down in second can say with our done stores, those gingham dresses that we had. Horrible things in England. Um, so yeah, so we had a great time. But look, as I said, we're great days. Happy days. Stay listening. Hang in there, Kellen. Hold on. Tina, good morning. We should more time. Oh. Are you there? There you are. Go ahead. What's your story, your spontaneous story? Uh, well, me and my husband got married within six days. What? What? Yeah. We were supposed to get married in June 2020, uh, but obviously lockdown kind of put a, a hold to that. And I put up a T-shirt, I was also ordering a T-shirt on Facebook, kind of going to COVID bride, saying, I think it said, same man, you plan or something? And one of her friends constantly joked me, she's like, oh, why don't you get the best man ordained and he can marry you at home, ha ha ha. And we are like, oh, okay, <laughs> maybe. And oh. literally six days later we were married. Oh, I thought for a second, it's not a heart attack. I thought you got married six days after you met him. No, 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 God, no. So what, so what exactly did, I heard, I know about the t-shirts and stuff like that, but what exactly did you do? Get somebody uh, else to marry you? The only thing we had was the wedding dress, so we had to get a celebrant. She thought we were crazy, I think she thought it was a joke. Uh, we had the cake, we had to get the soups online, the flurger, everything, top to bottom, apart from the wedding dress. Oh, you planned it all and executed it within yeah. six days of deciding. Within six days. Yeah. 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 So from top to bottom. The whole lot. In the, and was yeah. that in the middle of lockdown? Uh, yeah, it was in June 2020 lockdown. So, so how many could you have had at it? Uh, we had 12 and four of them was the four of us like. <laughs> and then we had out in the front garden. They were tiny little weddings, weren't they? It, you know, it, it's a memory. It's a lockdown wedding. Not many people said they had a lockdown wedding. And what, where, where did, like, there was obviously no reception or no wedding it party. Was in our back garden. We just had a few drinks. And my sister's a chef, so she cooked the food. So she had cocktail sausages in the back garden. All planned and done within six days. And did you have a wedding dress or anything? Or was it the online t shirt? We had the, no, we had the wedding dress. The wedding dress was bought with four years, four years ago, I think. So that was the only thing we had. And it still fit and everything, thank God. Okay, well that would be hard to beat somebody who decided, executed and carried out a wedding within six days of planning Well done for that one Stay listening, text 0868104106 Keep your stories coming You need to pick a winner and a qualifier after these The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM Our phone lines remain open after midday 0818104106 Live show, always moving so you don't get to everything including my apologies including not being able to play a Rod Stewart song I'll do it tomorrow uh, I just ran out of time there was so much to do this morning but I think in fairness it's hard to pick winners with regards to our uh, spontaneity calls we've had a great week of it and we'll do it again tomorrow for a final uh, playoff weekend in Paris courtesy of Vueling.com and Cork Airport but I think Helen Wood's story um, Helen's story of going on the lang from work in Dunn stores pretending to have got food poisoning poor old Chinese restaurants um, and uh, she uh, legged it off in her gingham uniforms with her pal down to Kinsale 
straight into tomorrow's final. So well done for that, Helen. You're in the final and you're one step closer. Regards to you and all in Toker. Our lines will stay open on 0818104106. If you have a call that you'd like to make, text 0868104106. And stories to share, neil at redfm.ie. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.